Linda Ronstadt receives the National Medal of the Arts from President Barack Obama. An Israeli airstrike in Gaza kills Salah Abu Hassanin, an Islamic jihadi leader. In San Diego, the San Diego Comic-Con takes place, including the release of the first trailers for movies such as Interstellar, Mad Max Fury Road, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Superman vs. Batman Dawn of Justice. As well, the very first episode of the Care for the Common podcast, a WF 1997 retrospective, is released. Yes, we are talking about the week of July 25th, 2014 here. Number one movie in America is Lucy, starring Scarlett Johansson. New in video games is The Last of Us Remastered for the PlayStation 4. And number one on the U.S. charts, it is Fancy by Iggy Azalea, featuring Charlie XCX. Thank you for listening in, one and all, and welcome to the Year in Review for a cure for the common podcast a wwf 1997 retrospective my name is Callan scrivens and my name is tom hemmings and tom a happy 2021 to you oh god uh, well actually is it i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing none of us know yet that's the great <laughs> trepidation pretty much so uh so yeah how's uh how things been in the long time since we finished recording the weeks of this I don't know how long it's been. Has it been two, three months? That's something like that, probably. According to my Skype, it's been a lot longer than that, but I, I honestly barely believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me see. When's the last time that I have a recording? Uh, oh, I've deleted them all already. It's been a while. <laughs> we took a lot of time to get caught up on editing the episodes that we recorded in bulk. This is true. This is true. Um, yeah, you know, it's been 2020. I'm sure that's been much the same for everyone. I mean, uh, as we're, as we're recording this now, like you say, it's the 2nd of January in 2021. So the new year has turned, um, and we're all just kind of waiting. So, yay, it's a perfect environment to do another podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would I would ask if you want to go into you know recent wrestling uh, before we get into things, but we got a lot of ground to cover today. Uh, the only thing was um, Brody Lee's tribute show was a couple of days ago. It was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone mm-hmm. agrees it was the best show of the year. Um, it's a tra- tragedy, obviously. Um, very very sad about it uh but i think aew did a did a tremendous job and they'll continue to do a great job so Uh that's that and wrestle kingdom may or may not be coming up depending on what happens in the tokyo politosphere over the next 36 hours yeah we're really recording in a slice of time aren't we no kidding. <laughs> like Tokyo, that Tokyo might shut down the like the dome show, like within the next few hours of where we are now. Mm-hmm. They, they, I mean, they're actively trying to. So I don't know. We, we uh, will break this news as soon as possible, and it will totally <laughs> not be like Krusty declaring the Falklands being invaded. No, oh, no. Let's do it this way. Okay, 
breaking news. We just discovered that the Tokyo Dome show will continue. And here's the edit point. You can switch it for this one. Breaking news. The Tokyo Dome show has been cancelled. There we go. That's covered all the bases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no, I've just been sat at home over the new year watching all the wrestling shows I was at last year. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I genuinely don't know if I attended any after I got back from Japan in 2020. Um, I almost immediately, I got off the plane and had a night's sleep and then went to Wrestle Queendom in London. And then I went to a show in Cardiff and that's it. Uh, after that, nothing. But I still managed to fit in 13 wrestling shows this year. (laughs) 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 Or 11 or some ridiculous number. So... We have done 50, well, uh, technically 51 episodes covering 52 weeks of, uh, of 1997. So we thought that the natural thing to do would be to do a, a year in review, a wrap up of the year that featured, you know, six brilliant weeks of Shotgun Saturday Night, The Adventures of George and Adam, Triple <laughs> A cross promotion, and of course, who can forget? $71 inflatable King of the Ring chairs. Oh, my God. Still haven't been able to find one. <laughs> I did find it hilarious that shortly after we recorded that one, that WrestleCrap actually uh, had that as the, you know, somebody bought this feature. It's like, good, good, <laughs> we're not alone here. Or possibly Artie Reynolds is listening to this, which would be pretty cool, actually. I still can't believe I went back and listened to... um in preparation for this, I went back and listened to like the last 20 minutes of every episode we did. 
um, okay. to, to catch up on our, our, you know, our best of the week and our best match of the week. You did more uh, than I did. <laughs> I, I can't believe I didn't know what the Bone Street crew was. I found that out week one. <laughs> uh, no matter uh, how much you think you know about wrestling, there's always more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I keep watching all these damn top ten lists on YouTube where it's like, yeah, knew that, knew that, knew that, knew that. Let's watch another one. <laughs> Securing your knowledge. <laughs> so yeah um before we dig into our numerous curated best of lists was there anything that you really wanted to make mention of that might not fit into any of these lists i i rattled off a few of them that just required some sort of some sort of uh mention there but anything that you feel the need to bring up Oof. I mean, I'm certain, I'm certain that we're not going to be, be able to stay on topic in this. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to save my digressions for later in the episode. <laughs> Although I will say you stole my George, George and Adam reference. So. <laughs> <laughs> well then, um, all right, let's just dig into this and see how off track we get as we go through the first of our numerous lists. So, uh, we have a few different ones to go over, so uh, some of the ones that we'll get to as we go along here include our, our picks for our individual uh, lists of top 10 best wrestlers of the year, top 10 best wrestling acts of the year, uh, the top 10 most interesting wrestlers or acts of the year. I'm sure we'll keep that one very much on topic. Uh, the best promos of the year, the worst matches of the year as well as the best squash matches best pay-per-view matches and what we'll begin with are top 10 each television matches of the year uh so tom would you like to begin or would you like me to lead off with this uh i think i'll lead off that all right uh seems to be fair enough and in true heavily researched form here I have mm-hmm. gone with a little known match that I rewatched two days ago now. I've rewatched a lot of these. I, I, apparently I did way too much research. Um, this is from week 15, raw number 205, Owen and Davy Boy versus Holly and Horowitz. I thought it was like a neat little TV match. It was quite technical. Now, here's the thing. Um, me personally, my uh, my review for this was just me going back through all the notes that I created for every episode, and I genuinely forgot that this match happened. So I don't really <laughs> have much to add to it. No, it, it's this. It's not. It's not even like it was like in our discussion for best match of the week. Even really, I, mean, it, I think it was mentioned vaguely. We weren't going into depth on it, but it just. I went back and watched it, and he had Barry Horowitz doing some nice, te- dense technical work with Owen, and I was like, oh, this is really neat. Well, yeah, um, and I, I was a, I was very much a fan of Barry Horowitz's, you know, early year as a name job guy because he actually, like, we were talking about how, like, oh yeah, no, he'd fit in like the mid card of ROH, you know, seven years down the line. Oh, absolutely. With the type of technique he was doing, um, like. I mean, this may be a damning with faint praise, but it kind of gives me like the old Chad Collier kind of uh, uh, kind of vibe to it. That, that is a where, very good I mean, allegory. Yeah. 
Okay. But yeah, no, like, yeah, he, he was a good hand. Holly was obviously a good hand. You don't last in that company 15 years if you're not. And Owen and Davey, well, uh, they're going to show up on these lists a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're definitely, definitely. Uh, so you're number 10. Um, Owen Hart, shock of shocks. Uh, this is actually, uh, I, I'm not listing it off by week as you did. I just have the date. This is from uh, Shotgun on July 12th. Uh, this was one of the few shotgun matches to win our uh, match of the week. Owen Hart versus Flash Funk. I remember it. it actually, it was it was in contention for this for me. And yes, and this was uh, this was from the tapings in Edmonton uh, the night after Canadian Stampede. So Owen was over like fucking Rover here, and uh, Flash Funk was uh, also pretty popular. It's just that that's a uh, yeah no just. That's a combination of two guys with immense technical skill um, mm-hmm. who didn't always get the chance to show it. Yeah. But. And, you know, since this was in Alberta, you know, Owen definitely wanted to put on a little bit of a show for the fans. And the fact that it was, you know, it was just a fun, clean match. The hometown hero wins with his finish clean as a whistle. They both brought it. I loved it. Excellent. Uh, my number nine would be Owen versus Mankind. This was from Raw 192, week one of our show. I do remember this one because it was the very first Raw match of the year. Yeah. And it was a heel versus heel for some reason. I just dug the chance to see two of my absolute favorites that early on. Mm-hmm. Like, giving a preview of what the potential of the year would be like, Oh cool. I get to see an Owen versus mankind match. And they work together really well. Like Owen has a touch of that, that Shawn Michaels feel of like a technical guy having to take on the unpredictableness of mankind. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought they blended well, better, better than mankind and Davey did. Yes. And, uh, I, I think Owen, it was a bit of a step up on uh, Davey throughout the year, but yeah, no, that that was definitely a, a fun match and a good way to kick off and just reminded me that Owen literally started and ended Raw for the year 97. <laughs> More on that in a moment. Um, my number nine, uh, this would have been from week number 50. This is Raw on the 15th of December. Uh, the main event of that show, the Legion of Doom versus Degeneration X. Excellent pick. I have it on mine. All right, so we'll uh, we'll defer to the conversation on that uh, when it comes up. Uh, what is your number eight, Tom? Uh, my number eight would be Owen and Davey versus Furnace and Lafon, uh, number one of their series. Uh, this is this from week, the Sky Dome, I believe. Yeah, the week five uh, Raw 195 version. Um, just, you know, four consummate professionals. And this was the best we would see Furnace and Lafon all year, I think. Uh, both due to circumstance and opponents. Um, I wasn't necessarily expecting to see, see this kind of work between tag teams um, in mm-hmm. the WWF at this point, but it was a joy to see. So, I was going to say, I think I preferred their match at Final Four, the pay-per-view. Hmm. Um, but as far as, like, how shall I put this? This match was much higher on the TV rankings than the final four match was on the pay-per-view rankings. That's true. Uh, 
But no, I, I remember you were very enthralled with this match when we saw it, and then at some point you had completely forgotten about it, <laughs> and I had to remind you of its existence. But uh, I, I'm happy to see that it's kind of brought itself back to uh, where it uh, where it should be there. Uh, but yeah, no, just a very, very good match between four wrestlers, and you know, I don't think I knew the full situation at the time that we recorded that episode where that Skydome show was supposed to be a house show, which they had to hastily adapt into an episode of Raw. Ah. Because that was supposed to be the, because that was supposed to be the, you know, they hyped it up as Royal Rumble Raw. And it was a two hour show when normally Raw was one hour. The intention was for them to show the entire Royal Rumble as a ratings ploy. But uh, then, you know, their pay-per-view providers were like, uh, hell no, you're not. So we just got some random clips, and they adapted this uh, this house show at the Sky Dome into the Raw as a whole. To be honest, the match actually does have, like, a, a guys having fun at a house show feel to it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So you could see they were working stuff out for that Final Four show. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number eight... This is from October the 20th, champion versus champion, title for title. Totally not going to end in a uh, schmoz finish. Owen Hart versus Shawn Michaels. Very good. Did it make your list? It did not, actually. Uh, Okay. This is the problem with doing uh, research like I have, because it's uh, (laughs) it it means I'm obviously going to miss stuff out. Yeah, no, by by no means are these these perfect lists, but <laughs> yeah, no. Owen and HBK always had a fantastic chemistry. More on that in a moment. Um, but yeah, no, this is and spoiler, this is not my top Owen HBK match on this list. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, they like the Schmoss finish and the obvious fact that you know, okay, they're not gonna make someone. They weren't gonna make either of them a double champion at this point. Uh, but no, it was just 10 or so minutes of great back and forth work from two of the most athletic workers that they had going at the time. Fine pick. Uh, my number seven would be the IC title match between Rocky Maivia and Bret Hart, uh, from Raw 203, week 13. Uh, this was like the match where you really got to see the potential of Rocky. I think, mm-hmm. and how he would meld with like an old school main event Bret Hart style, because uh, he hasn't had the chance to work with any main eventers yet, really. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this was just kind of a, again l- like the Owen versus Mankind match. This was just a fun little oh my god, it, uh, what a what a nice combination to see, and I thought Rocky did a really nice job. I I, I completely understand where you're coming from on there. I, I honestly personally always felt like I got more hype for it just because it's Brett versus rock. I think and that, that definitely was that, solid, play, that plays into it. Yeah. Okay. Whereas like I, well, the match is solid. I just don't have it cracking that top 10. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely a fun curiosity. Definitely something that I would recommend if you have the network to go and find and watch just because it's, it's Rock and Brett. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My number seven uh, from the April 21st Raw is the street fight between Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
<laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, no, I'd forgotten about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely more memorable is the angle immediately following it, but no, it was just, you know, these two guys beating the shit out of each other. We've had their technical matches. We've had their submission matches. This was just a fight, and it was a beautiful little brawl and just fantastic. You, you're making me want to go back and watch it. I'm going to have to make some notes here. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm doing my job. <laughs> uh, my number six would be from week six superstars, uh, Vader versus Austin. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, there's like, like a early gem again. Uh, we got to see what Vader... Well, we got to see like Austin's like never say die side. It was one of the first times mm-hmm. where he's like up against like a big established top level guy who was clearly mm-hmm. physically more powerful than him. And you got to see his just tenaciousness. And it was again one of the first times where you really got to see him exploring more of a babyface side. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, it was definitely just... good because. Um, they also had a match. I want to say like that same week they had a match on the uh, on the Skydome Raw, that was pretty solid as well. Oh, th- this is the one I, I went back and watched. Something else so. on your list. <laughs> no, this is this is the one I went back and watched, and I thought it was uh, quite an interesting. Oh, wait, was it actually the Superstars? I need to check this now. I thought it was. No, the I, if memory serves, they wrestled. No, on, if memory serves, they wrestled on Superstars and on Raw the same week. Ah, okay. Well, the, the, the Superstars one is the one I went back and watched, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My number six, uh, from the 7th of September Raw, it was a good taping to be at, because not only did you get my number 10, Owen and Flash, on Raw you got my number six, which is Takamichinoku versus Great Sasuke. Excellent pick. While definitely not a patch on their match from the night before Canadian Stampede, this was just a great little taster of what the two of them were able to do and the fact that it was so different from anything that was, you know, on WWF at the time. And to a lesser degree, it was a different cruiserweight style from what you saw on WCW. So it was just fantastic. Last we'd ever see a Sasuke in WWF, but, uh, but no, great, uh, little introduction for Taka and, uh, good stuff from both of them back and forth. Just a great car crash flying match. When I looked at Taka's matches for the year, my only strike against them was how short they were. Um, mm-hmm. so like there was that great, um, Taka Michinoku versus, uh, Tajiri match. And I, I was like, I think I, I will definitely, that's definitely in consideration for my TV matches list. I look it up and it's three minutes long. I, I just can't quite do it for three minutes, you know? So, but. There was a couple of those, like, there was a lot of Taka matches that just missed the list for my TV, for my TV list there. Yeah, if it was like a, 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 a list of ones a top, were on there. Top, top 10 matches that went under 10 minutes, but were comp- uh, under five minutes, but were competitive, it would be Taka. One to ten. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, my number five is from week 50, Raw 238, uh, LOD versus DX. 
Shawn yes, Michaels. So... Shawn Michaels makes Animal look incredible. Mm-hmm. There's just there's no other way around it. It's, it's, it's a fantastic. Best. It's yeah, he is absolutely. That is when Sean's at his best, arguably, and when Animal's at his best. I love that combination. Mm-hmm. No, and we discussed at the time, and yeah, there's a reason this also made my top ten list, where, yeah, Sean was just pinballing around, and DX, securing the knowledge that they were going to just about bury LOD after the match was done, had no problem making them look like a million bucks during the match. Uh, this was... LOD's probably their best match of their comeback from, you know, from 97 through to when they were out the door in early 99. This was probably the best match that they had uh, had. And yeah, no, just it was a great complement of styles. It was a great reminder that they didn't just have to wrestle the Godwins. (laughs) True enough. My number five, uh, as mentioned, I have more than one Owen versus HBK match on my list. The main event of week 52, 1229 from Nassau Coliseum, uh, Owen Hart and Shawn Michaels. Excellent. The closest thing to a blow off that feud ever got. You know, I think the only reason I didn't include that is because as of recording, week 52 isn't out yet. So I... It's the one episode I didn't go back and listen to the listen to our recommendations from. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like this, this is the angry Owen, which we very seldom got to see. And once again, HBK being the guy that, uh, you know, is secure in looking weak bell to bell when he knows his position is secure absolutely leaned into that in this match. <laughs> Owen yeah. looked like a huge threat, and then they pawned his feud off to Triple H, so Triple H could bury him. Yay! Should we, should we review 1998 or not? <laughs> uh, Maybe, just not right away. <laughs> I don't want to see that feud. I really don't. <laughs> It'd be too depressing. <laughs> uh, God, what number are we up to now? You, we're up to your number four, and I'm shocked we've only had one double on our list at this point. Yeah, well, yours, yours seems more well thought out. Mine's kind of eclectic. But um, my f- number four is from Week 32, Raw 222, uh, Mankind versus Sean. Uh, it's a rematch, oh, yeah. rematch of one of my all-time favorite matches. Uh, they do, they get enough time, not masses of time, but enough time to show how well they work together. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. I mean, that's just that's a big, a big, a big dive into. Uh, uh, I didn't think we got any more of that. Their their matches against each other. So that was just a real treat. Absolutely a solid match. Absolutely a solid match. Uh, nothing that would really stand out against, say, the, the Mind Games match that you are referencing. Uh, but, yeah, just two people that work well against each other. 
my number four from the August 29th Friday night's main event, uh, probably the only good thing really to come out of those shows, uh, Takamichinoku versus Jerry Lynn. Again, I considered it. Uh, yeah, great choice. Like it, it, it is, a, it is a short match. It's about, it's five minutes if we're being generous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But. They compact everything into that five minutes. It depresses me that Jerry Lynn was not a proper part of the light heavyweight division until 2001. Yeah, gosh, I still remember when he he came in with his like uh, black tights with the like a I never quite knew what the design on those were. But I was a fan of his from having seen his work in ECW with RVD because I bought a bunch of the DVDs the year before. but then you just keep going well, back. That's the for other thing too is that uh, I was going. That, that'd be the other thing too is that while it sucked that Jerry Lynn wasn't around for WWF, do you really think artistically his career was not much more fulfilled working ECW? This is true. Well, he was again. You keep going back and you keep realizing, oh, he was Mister JL as well, and then he popped up mm-hmm. here and yeah. So there is a lot of Jerry Lynn lying around, but it's a mystery why people didn't really appreciate him outside of ECW because he's so good. <laughs> Yep. And of course, Jerry Lynn, um, but, uh, won, won major titles this year, so. <laughs> Wait, was it Jerry Lynn? No, it was Dean Malenko, wasn't it? Sorry, I'm thinking of DDT Iron Man heavy metal weight titles. <laughs> I, I know, I know I Dean Malenko won. Cassidy them, is but... the most recent champion I recall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he still has it or not. Anyhow, we're into our top threes. I, I'd be very surprised if our top threes weren't the same ones in some order. I was going to say, I guarantee it's the same three. All right. So what is your number three? Uh, week 38, Raw 226, uh, Triple H versus Cactus Jack, Street Fight. This was also my number three. Yeah. I mean, this is undeniable. It's one of the best fun moments of the year. I mean, you've got the great promo yep. before it. You've got Triple H just selling. JR has never been better. All the, like, the phrases they use and stuff are just like, oh my god, they reused all that in 2000 for the rematch of this. Yeah. It's, no, it just, it's so much it fun. It is completely untelegraphed too. Like, until you get to the video part where you have both Mankind and Dude on the tweet at the same time, you might start to think it. You know, assuming that you don't know what's coming already, because this is such a memorable moment. And, like, this is one of those ones where the the match could have been overshadowed by the moment, but then the match just fucking delivered. Yeah, pretty much the whole match right up until that awesome pile driver through the wooden table. Mm-hmm. Perfect table break. They're both lying there. Mankind's in, uh, sorry, Cactus Jack is in absolute bliss, having basically ruined the man. I love it. It's fantastic. My number two match is from Raw 2211, uh, week 21, uh, Owen and Davey versus Sean and Austin. I actually put that as my number one. Yeah. And you know what? I went back today. And I rewatched them both. I had this as my number one, and I had the European title as my number two. 
And then I watched the European title match again and I switched them. Because the European title match blew my mind slightly again. So, it, uh. <laughs> it is definitely a toss up between the two. <laughs> oh yeah, you can't, you can't get this choice wrong. Uh, <laughs> certainly like, I think the other, the, the tag match has the advantage of having a very 1997, latter 1997 raw crowd, mm-hmm. which makes it feel like a much more polished presentation. The European title crowd in Germany actually is molten hot, but the production is not as good, so you can't tell. Mm-hmm. And it's also more of an old fashioned crowd. It's not what raw was later, even, even just like what, eight weeks later. Uh, when when the tag match took place, but mm-hmm. yeah, I put the tag match second. So gotcha. So yeah, let's let's just start with the uh, let's start with the tag match in in full first, then we'll move over to the uh, to the Euro title match. So the Austin Michaels one, as mentioned, molten hot crowd. The way that they told the story with Sean and Austin being the reluctant partners, as much of a cliche as it is in 2020, this was still a fairly new thing in 97, and they actually went out of their way, I felt, to make their tenuous alliance work. Where it felt like every, like even the most basic, alright, I'm gonna put this guy in an arm ring or tag you in and you'll axe handle the arm felt like an accomplishment for Michaels and Austin. Well, they trusted each other's competence. Like Mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily like respect each other as people, but they knew they could work. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have a, well, they didn't necessarily have a problem acting as a tag team. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, Owen and Davey playing off that are just absolutely fantastic. It's, there's just the, there was a molten heat coming off the crowd, given how like unlikely this match is and how well mm-hmm. they're working together. No, just such a good match, and it meant something because Owen and Bulldog had such a great reign as champions. To have it knocked off like that, it played into the overall Austin versus Hart, Canada versus USA feud. And yeah, no, especially when Aust- sorry, especially when Owen and Davey are both walking into that match as double champions, it still meant something when they were able to kind of sneak that match out where just out of nowhere you get the sweet chin music and Austin is Johnny on the spot to get the cover. Just fantastic. You might think, uh, based on reputation at the moment, that we would be going for the uh, for the match where we get uh, Dude Love finally debuts. But I think as we discussed at the time, that's a moment more than a match. Yep. There's not not much to the match beyond the moment. Yeah. Whereas this is the fully realized match, you know. Mm -hmm. And Owen versus Bulldog, European Championship, Deutschland Halle, what else can be said? The... Firstly, they, they did it European style, like like Germans would be used to from their more native wrestling. Mm-hmm. They worked in springboard spots. They worked in power bombs. Owen 
eventually starts to cave away from this is what I love about the character stuff in this one. Owen starts to cave away from their gentleman's agreement, mm. fakes a leg injury, and then kicks Davy's leg out from underneath him. It was that, that's a fantastic moment. And then later on, Owen again he goes for a uh, a roll up pin, but he has his feet on the ropes, and it's just those fantastic little moments that make sure Davy is really solidly the face. Mm-hmm. But even then, Davy doesn't no, put, him just... away, put him away with the power slam or anything. He puts him away with technical ability and a roll up. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's one of it's one of the best singles matches of the year, pay per view or not. Honestly, part of the reason why I decided to do a hard split between pay per view and TV matches is because I wouldn't know where to slot these top two into the pay per views. Also, it meant that the bottom two matches on my pay-per-view list could actually get some shine on this show. Because <laughs> the, the, these last two, and maybe the Triple H Cactus Jack one, definitely would fit on the top ten of the year full stop. I think so, yeah. I think there's also a difference between a really good TV match and a pay-per-view match. Mm-hmm. There's just a slight, there's a slightly different expectation. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these weren't necessarily advertised hugely in advance. There's a different vibe to them, uh, so it's just it's nice to to highlight these sorts of things and, and highlight guys who wouldn't necessarily get the most pay per view matches in the year. I mean, Holly and Horowitz aren't going to show up on that other list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving on from that, uh, do you have a, a list that you would like to uh, to rattle off next? Well, actually, I do have a short list, which I was going to offer up, uh, which I don't believe you've done. Okay. I've got a five parts, uh, five entry list here. And I've got a, a reverse one for later on as well. Uh, best music of the year. <laughs> okay. As you guys know, we've opened every episode with what was at number one in uh, the UK, Canada, the US, or occasionally in Europe. Um, you've pulled out the European charts once, I think. And so I've done, I've done a top five of the best music for the year, which I'll just run through. Uh, number five, uh, Blur, Beetle Bum. I love that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, uh, The Verve, The Drugs Don't Work. Oh, I love that tune. Number three, this one got in my head and I couldn't get it out. Uh, Jewel, you were meant for me. And I was meant for you. Honestly, <laughs> it still throws me off after all these years. You listen to the album version and the single version. It's like it's the same lyrics, but it feels like two different songs. <laughs> I still I, I, I listened to this the other day and all I got was it was Jen. She yelling at us to shut up. Wait, what? Because <laughs> you were singing it, and then I was singing it as well. And Jen was just shouting, shut up! <laughs> and then both of us were yelling back at her, even though only, only, only she could only hear you. But we were going to start our Jewel uh, cover band, Jewel. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> how, how could I forget? <laughs> uh, number two is Karma Police by Radiohead. And yep. number one, uh, by Sarah Brightman and Andrea Bocelli, Time to Say Goodbye. Time to Say Goodbye. Yep. 
That is a fucking beauty of a song there. So that was just my fun little list. And later on, we'll have the top five worst. So, uh, but I'll save that for when we need it. Honorable mention to A Long December by uh, by Counting Crows. Yeah, fair enough. Not for me. And <laughs> what, what other ones can I just randomly throw out? Uh, Clumsy by Our Lady Peace. Um, uh, Foolish Games by Jewel as well. I quite yep. like. Uh, Hanson and Bob. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. Once again, if if you are if you were not around in the in mid '97 to be completely bombarded by that song, it's a solid pop tune. Uh, Spice Girls wannabe. I'm a bigger fan of Spice Girls now than I was when we started this show. I'll tell you oh, that. Abso- absolutely. I was making f- week number one. I was making fun of To Become One being the top UK chart. Now it's like it pops up my iPod every now and then. It's like okay, yeah, no, this. I can see how this got to number one actually. <laughs> Uh, Tony Braxton, Unbreak My Heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meredith Brooks, I'm a bitch, I'm a lover. I'm a child, I'm a lover. I mean, that, that is a song you can sing along to, if you know oh, the yeah. words. You know, that is a solid, you can't deny that one. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, this was hot, this was hotly contested, and I, I really do think we've had some good music for 97. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm looking forward to you ripping apart... Uh, uh, ripping apart the Teletubbies later on in the show. <laughs> but before we get to uh, to worst music, do we want to do worst matches? Oh, God. Oh, this is going to be fun. Uh, I'll let you lead off on this one. All right. Uh, so I actually didn't list the date for this match. Uh, the um jesse james versus rockabilly match not the one on the pay-per-view but the raw the day after uh i want to say it was uh, revenge of the taker um they just went forever and nothing happened <laughs> you've always hated rockabilly absolutely <laughs> how dare you <laughs> just so boring yeah, uh, until they found their characters, which were largely not based around their wrestling, they were both criminally dull. Mm-hmm. Especially Jesse James. Mm-hmm. But especially Billy Gunn. <laughs> but especially Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> um, my number five on this list... It's only a list of five, thankfully. We're keeping our negatives short. Uh, is Ken Shamrock versus Mark Kyle from Shotgun Week 49. This was Ken Shamrock. He has a title match the next day on television against Shawn Michaels. And he goes 50-50 with a jobber. The match <laughs> I... only lasts two minutes. But for the love of Christ, Ken, don't sell for the guy. Kill him. <laughs> I forgot about that one. It's not actually a bad match. It just made me so angry. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can, I can get behind that one. Um, and I should say the only reason I made this a top five is because these were the only five where I looked at them and just said, wow, these really need to be noted for how terrible they are. (laughs) Um, my number four, uh, main event of raw June 2nd. Happy birth, happy ninth birthday, Kellen. You get Taker versus Sid stinking out the joint as the main event of Raw. 
I have little memory of that. I think I defended their Mania match, but no. You I'm did, not, and I not, didn't like that one either, but this was worse. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was going to be better. Uh, my number four is, and this is one of my hoity-toity um, nose-in-the-air picks, uh, Shawn Michaels versus Triple H for the European title week 51. I get why you put it there, but I'm not putting it in a... It is not a genuinely bad match. It's just freaking... It's DX shenanigans. I, this is the one that I would vehemently defend as not being terrible. I'll just... I, I thought it was embarrassing. And I know that was the point. I know. I know. Everyone who says, oh, you don't like Shawn Michaels, you're buying into the thing. I was like, well, there's a 50% of that and 50% of him being a genuine massive prick. Um, so yeah, I put this on the list. Let's move on. <laughs> My number three, uh, July 21st raw, the time they attempted to do a triple threat tag team match. Oh God. Blackjacks, headbangers, <laughs> people doing roll-ups into each other's legs and almost crippling each other. Oh God. This is an uncoordinated mess. <laughs> Yeah, they really didn't figure out triple threats this year. They didn't figure out triple threats for singles this year. Fucking throw <laughs> three tag teams in there. Wyndham can make sure they all know how to do it. Weren't they floating the whole, like, oh, a tag team partner could pin their own partner now as well? It's like, no, you morons. That obviously shouldn't work. Uh, my number three... Uh, is Mark Merrow versus Butterbean from Degeneration Degeneration X week forty eight? Um, there's really nothing like the spectacle of an advertised pay per view match degenerating into a complete farce, and the fact that Butterbean was completely blown up by like by the end of round two really did not With help a fake this boxing match. <laughs> it was awful, just awful. <laughs> Uh, I, I had some fun with it just because of, like, the ridiculousness of it, and Lawler actually did have some good commentary going in that match. I'm, it, it is, it is so bad it's good, whereas I was going for so bad you would never want to watch this. <laughs> well, I think my top two definitely count as that, so. All right. Uh, my number two from the, uh, September 8th Raw is War it's that triple threat match syndrome again. <laughs> uh, the Patriot, Triple H, and late edition Savio Vega. I've, I believe we would refer to this as Savio's crippling triple threat match addiction. I've got it, but I've got it higher. Okay, then. Uh, so what's your number two? Hunter versus Savio versus Patriots, rule 224. <laughs> Wait, that's the one I... Okay, so we both have it at number two, then. Oh, right, yeah, sorry, I thought we were doing it the other way around. Yeah, you're right. We're both doing number two. <laughs> okay, we had the same this, match at number two. This was, yeah. yeah, this was number two, all right. <laughs> oh my god, this was boring. <laughs> they just oh, have no man. idea how to make a three-way match look, look in any way interesting at all. <laughs> Which, now, here's the funny thing, um... I didn't mind the Crush, Farouk, Savio triple threat 
threat all that much the night before on the pay-per-view. Yeah, there was a few blown spots. I remember Farouk not being able to take a neck breaker the right way. But uh, at the very least, it seemed like there was a certain cohesion to the match that these last two triple threats that I listed simply did not have. So, yeah. Um, my number one worst match of the year was on a freaking pay-per-view. Goldust versus Crush. Oh, man. Oh, I can't believe you haven't gone from my one. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought you were reacting to the thought of the, the Goldust versus Crush match. No, I just, I, when I say mine, I'm going to be interested to see your response. But yeah, no, I, that would. Crush is a great shout for one of the worst wrestlers of the year. Absolutely. Just... If we did do that list, he would definitely be top three, not thinking it through. It's like there might have been worse wrestlers, but there was not anyone so bad and boring that had as much screen time as he did. Right. I mean, like the other members of DOA are technically worse than him, really. Mm-hmm. But he got way more matches than they did. I mean, we were bored by Savio occasionally, but I think Savio like sneakily turned Burning it around. Savio was great. Yeah, like, after Nation, Savio was fun. Farouk wasn't great, but Farouk was at least... Farouk had cut a promo. Yeah, yeah, Crush is just... awful. (laughs) Just a really depressing guy to have on the roster. Yep. (laughs) Well, hey, thankfully they got rid of him by the end, so they learned something. You know, I'm I'm quite impressed the fact by the fact we don't have Kurgan on this uh, top five. <laughs> well, he, did he? He never had a proper match. Well, this is true. This is true. Like, but this is what we mean. A like, proper match. He actually did the uh, the DOA versus um, DOA versus Truth Commission Survivor Series match did rank pretty high on the Observer's Worst Match of the Year list that year. I checked out. I checked I out that list. I didn't find it that offensive. I checked out that list, and basically what it came down to was worst high-profile matches. And I just... It wasn't... It wasn't it bad enough. There's much worse stuff than that. The the Observer stuff can be a little bit weird. Like, one that didn't even sniff either of our top five, it looks like. Or maybe you did put it on there. Uh, Like, the opener at... The opener at WrestleMania, the four-way tag match, was this is a negative two-star match. I'm like... I'm not going to say it's a great match or even a good match, but negative two, really? <laughs> now watch Tom come and smack me in the head with a stack of papers. <laughs> no, no. Because, um, you know, if Crush is number three on that worst wrestlers of the year list, number two and number one would be the Headbangers. <laughs> and the Headbangers did not have a worse match this year than... Week 26, Raw 216, ECW Invasion Era, The Headhunters. Wait, they actually had a match against them? Headbangers versus Headhunters. I thought the Headhunters thing was that they showed up, like they interrupted a match, and then like it was the most one of the most hilarious segments of the year. I gotta dig this up. One moment here. Yeah, no, sorry, I'm almost. I, I might have to. I might have to throw the challenge flag on this because I could have sworn it was Headbangers versus Owen and Davy, but then Cornette showed up and was like, "I got a team that couldn't get entered into the tournament," and then the Headhunters showed up. 
I'm almost Hold certain. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go back and watch it because I was so secure in my knowledge. Um. All right, here we go. We're, was, we're doing this was, on the fly here. It was in our notes. It was in, I, I was only going off the notes. Damn it. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I was so sure. So uh, your, your, your worst match of the year was not a match, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, it felt like a match. It, it felt like a struggle. Have any honorable mentions that you want to throw in to try and salvage this? <laughs> nope, nope. This is just emblematic of the whole thing. The whole thing's a disaster. <laughs> I was going to say, if, if we were going to do... We didn't put together a top moments list, but if we were, this would be near the top of the list because, yeah, no, they have a match. Cornet, I got a tag team. They come out. Bulldog immediately just slams one of them to bury them. Then you know, Owen and Bulldog walk away. Then the headbangers get 50-50 on them for a bit. Then they get squashed. And then we never hear from them again. I was so set on having the headbangers on this list twice that I completely overlooked this. Firstly, I, I've rewatched like four headbangers matches trying to find one that I could really justifiably put as worse than Ken Shamrock versus Mark Kyle. And I couldn't quite do it. But I was so certain this was an actual match when, in fact, like you say, it's just an angle. But my God, it's bad. So what you're saying is that I put more bad headbangers matches on my list than you did. So <laughs> oh, facto, you like them more than me. Since I like them, you actually love them. <laughs> I will burn you. I will burn you bad. <laughs> I, will, I also mentioned I pointed out this to him on Facebook uh, before we started posting. In the PWI 500 of 1997, Headbanger Thrasher finished at uh, 110. Satoshi Kojima was one spot behind. Oh, Christ Almighty! <laughs> like, <laughs> what was the th what was the stat you were looking up on the PWI that year? Uh, why Dean Malenko was the best wrestler of the year? And as I said, yeah. don't put more thought into it than they did. Well, as I was looking through this, uh, Mark Marrow showed up twice on the list. <laughs> he is both 106th and 221st. I'm going to assume one was for Wild Man, the other for Marvelous. <laughs> Figure it out yourself. I mean, I'm, I, honestly, I think Mark Marrow, you just add those together and he's probably probably comfortably sitting around the 400 mark. <laughs> uh. Well, that was a disaster. Uh, so let's... <laughs> Let's talk about something else. Um, what do you want to do? Promos? Yeah, I'm good with doing top promos. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're going to tell right. me any of these uh, aren't actually promos. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and my number one promo of the year was the Hell in a Cell match. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, shall I lead off on this one? Years before CM Punk went to start doing promos during the Royal Rumble. <laughs> okay, so my number 10 is from week 46, Raw 234. Uh, Vince McMahon, Brett screwed Brett. It's not, it's the only one on my list that's mainly there for historical significance. Because it is iconic, and I felt it probably deserved to spot on the list. I hate Vince, obviously, and I hate Vince in this promo, but I still put it on my list. So I understand why for historical purposes, I did not put it on the list because 
It's just a guy trying to do PR damage control and floundering at it. Interestingly enough, my number 10 actually kind of plays into that. Uh, it is Owen Hart's confrontation of Vince McMahon on the December 15th Raw. Uh-huh. Yes. I mentioned a bit during the uh, best TV matches. I do love the angry Owen that we get to see before he gets his balls cut off by the powers that be in DX. But uh, yeah, just I, he brought up a, a passion to it. He came across as different from any Owen that we'd seen before. And because there was the obvious reason for it, it just all made sense. And it was just a great piece of work. I thought a fine choice and like i say we were really high on like how owen felt like a top level guy at that point mm-hmm. uh my number nine uh stone called steve austin week four uh raw 196 uh this is leading into the final four uh we have sean come out and he's talking and we have brett come out and he talks and we have taker come out and they talk and then Austin comes down, stands halfway down the aisle, cuts a promo on them, and completely tears them apart in about 45 seconds. <laughs> I do remember that one. It totally sets them apart. You've got Vader showing up in the background behind Austin as well, like shat- silhouetted against the raw sign. Um, mm-hmm. But it was just one of the really early examples of how Austin was going to stand out from everyone else. Just everyone else is in the ring complaining about, oh, I got screwed worse than you. I got screwed worse than you. And Austin comes down and says, we all got fucking screwed. And then you can actually do anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember putting that as our, uh, as our top of the week moment. That was a good one. Uh, My number nine uh, from, uh, this would have been from week number two, the 13th of January raw. Uh, Sid in the empty Alamo Dome talking about how Shawn Michaels' friends and family were going to see him get beat. Oh, that's a fucking and great promo. Sid's silent to shouty pattern in a fucking empty cavernous, you know, 70,000 seat stadium sitting in the middle of it just played so well. And it was actually a good promo. Like, as, as much as there is to rip on Sid about, the guy cut some really bad promos in his life, but this, this one worked. This one was great. Absolutely fine choice. Yeah. Uh, that's the sort of dividing line with Sid you've got to walk, where there's there's Sid and then there's Ahmed, and there's reasons why Sid is Sid, mm-hmm. and there's reasons why Ahmed is Ahmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, number eight would be uh, Mankind from Shotgun Week 17. Uh, He cuts the promo to the small girl in the front row, cursing Taker for trying to kill uh, Uncle Paul and calling Sid a coward for faking his softball injury. It's so creepy. Oh, man, I forgot about that one. It's so creepy. It's just like, ah, skin crawling. Yep fantastic piece of work there yeah there's just there's a streak of time around here where mankind's really blurring the lines in his character between mm-hmm. real and fake and this is there's a couple i got like a few promos from that in this and that's one of my favorites so now i'll definitely say 
more on uh, more on mankind's character blurring moments in a little bit. Um, for me, uh, next one up, number eight at the Slammy Awards, Owen Hart wins for best bow tie and cuts a promo on Bulldog and Mankind Invader and mwah. God damn it. I, I, that might have been my number one if I thought of it. <laughs> you forgot about it. I did. I did. Hey, it, 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 hey, hey, Hemmings, you might have two titles, but you don't have two slammies. <laughs> Woo! Oh, man, it must not have showed up in our end of uh, episode talk. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's fantastic. And and one of the defining moments you can show people to let them know exactly who Owen was. Mm-hmm. It almost made that damn show worth it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd sit through another Todd Pettengill song to hear another Owen promo. <laughs> um, uh, my number seven, uh, Raw 216, week 26. Uh, Paul Bearer calls Taker a murderer. I'm not going to have a lot of love for Taker on these lists, but I am going to have a lot of love for Paul because Paul yes. carries this series. Absolutely. And as he tells this story about like, like the little redheaded boy and like his little brother following him around and the chemicals and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then he finally climaxes and says, you're a murderer. And then at the end of that episode, you finally get the reveal of the kid is alive outstanding work by paul um see see that that leads into my number seven because my number seven is he's alive kane is alive i'm so glad we got those back to back (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah no paul bearer like if we did best pro like best individual people as promos bears on the list no question. Absolutely. Bear is top three this year, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, just absolutely fantastic work overall, and Bearer made this story. He carried the thing all year. He carries Taker all year. It's amazing work. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six. I have Brian Pillman from Raw uh, 208, Week 18, uh, his prayer on Raw for the Heart Foundation. That that made my short list but did not make the cut. Fantastic promo, and just throughout the show, because that's the one where it ends with him like praying and then turning and doing the face of the camera, right? Yeah, yeah, he's just... He fills that whole final segment, those, all those segments, you know, that, that episode with just, oh my God, Brian, he's so like creepy and like blasphemous. Mm-hmm. His presence is blasphemous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got the, all the Heart Foundation down on a knee, like praying with him. And then Owen prays as well. And Owen prays like that their enemies will be injured. <laughs> just, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pillman's just a crazy man. And uh, this is one of my favorite things he did this year. My number six, I will be shocked if you, uh, I'll be absolutely surprised if you don't tell me this is higher up on your list. Uh, Week three, 
January 18th shotgun, Terry Funk. It's higher on my list. Uh, what I thought. Uh, so my number five, Raw 204, uh, week 14, Mankind uh, with J.R. and Paul Bearer. This is the episode where Mankind uh, first talks about his family, about his wife, about his heartbroken children. Uh, do you have this? Kind of. You, you finish up what you're saying, and I'll, I'll get to, to mine because it's also my number five on this number five uh, spot. Okay, yeah. So he's talking about like getting on a plane and smelling it of like cooked flesh, about the hardship of his wife. Uh, he does a poem about Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, it's spellbinding stuff. He covers a lot of ground, but this is one of the best. I mean, obviously, it's one of the best like in ring two interviewer promos of the whole year. So. Mm-hmm. My number five is from the June 9th Raw. It is the fourth and final part of JR's sit-down interview series with Mankind. Uh, it's higher on my list. Okay. <laughs> what is your number four? Uh, my number four is Raw 238, week 50. Uh, Austin throws the belt into the river. I'm a little bit surprised that didn't crack my list now, but uh, yeah, no, absolutely good pick. Well, the thing about Austin is, like, we had the criteria going into this of individual promos. They had to be primarily mm-hmm. statements by one person, maybe with an interviewer, and that'd be it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Austin's best work comes when he's directly in the ring with someone, interacting, mm-hmm. you know, like Austin versus Vince, uh, Austin and Lawler, Austin and JR. I mean, JR acting as a company official more than that. So there's actually not much mm-hmm. scope for Austin on this list, but just that one thing where he's getting into the prop comedy and he's like throwing like the snorkel over the thing and everything in rocks, pulling those awesome faces and the gasp, he finally throws the belt over into the river. Mm-hmm. Um, it's iconic, but for a reason. So. No, just great. It's hilarious. It, something that plays into their feud for years to come. Just great stuff. Uh, my number four, March 17th raw frustrating. The goddamn word for it. This is bullshit. Brett's rant in the disassembled cage following his loss to Sid right before WrestleMania. This is, this is perfectly serendipitous, but I'll let you finish your, uh, finish talking about it gotcha um yeah no i just thought it was great because we got to see a side of you know bret hart is as white meat a baby face as there is even though you know he would have he would have an edge in the sense of he would show that he is a human being with flaws in the past but you never saw him fly off the handle like this before and it's a culmination of being upset about getting screwed at the royal rumble being screwed by Sid in there, well, being screwed by Austin in the match where he lost the title to Sid, being screwed in this match, and he's just pissed off. And yeah, I mean, yes, AEW throws, you know, throws shit on TV every fucking week, but you know, this was different. And him shoving Vince to the ground and decking Pat Patterson, and yeah, he just angry Brett. And he pulled it off fantastically. And Brett's entire month, entire month at that point is 
the best work that anyone puts in a short concentration that year. Uh, because mm-hmm. my number three is from week 12, Raw 202, uh, Brett turns heel, uh, playing off the Mania match. Uh, he apologizes to all his international fans and then just goes off on all the Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic to see him just lock down this complete heel turn, nail the dynamic of what his character is going to be from that point. Uh, People, people have always said, you know, Brett's not a very, very interesting promo. You give him something interesting to talk about, he's a really good promo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Really impressed with Brett's work around that time. I, I, I do find it kind of funny that, you know, both Brett and Owen kind of have the rap for not being fantastic promos, but as I look at my list, four of the ten entries are the Hart Brothers. <laughs> well, I think the Hart Foundation is going to represent somewhat in these lists, so... Mm-hmm. Um, my number three, I know you mentioned, uh, Austin's best work is working off someone. Uh, I actually did have the Madison Square Garden Raw September 22nd, Austin and McMahon's back and forth, primarily Austin's work in it. But, uh, yeah, just Austin where he's going from angry to reacting to where Vince is kind of getting through to him for a moment and he's having this little bit of remorse and then just saying, fuck it, nope, I'm I'm walking down this path and I ain't looking back. And Vince is just showing that edge as well of like, you know, be reasonable, Mr. Austin. You know, you need to see my point of view. And that's the great mm-hmm. thing about their dy- dynamic is that it starts off as like Vince thinking, I'm definitely doing the right thing for him. But it's also... Vince losing control of the situation, which he hates. Yes. So. No, Vince, Vince starts this feud as a reasonable, as a reasonable authority figure that's doing the unpopular but right thing, and it devolves into pure madness. But it's still, and I might be reading into it too much where, you know, Austin's probably just faking when he seems to be actually having this bit of like, He's got a point, but <laughs> and just choosing to go down the path of chaos. Yeah, uh, uh, one of the most iconic moments of the year, no question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my number two is from week three, Shotgun. Uh, Terry Funk calling Todd Pettengill's mother a whore. <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> <laughs> my god what can we say about this promo i, I watched a terry oh, funk, i watched a terry funk promo from like 1970s earlier on today and he's equally like he's a heel in that one and he's a complete dick yeah and he is just such a shitster <laughs> it's fucking phenomenal i love this promo uh, it's just so out of nowhere because it's like, all right, well, Terry Funk's a guest entrant in the in the Rumble, and I guess since we're doing a live, you know, show the evening before in San Antonio at this freaking, you know, cowboy bar. All right, cool, why not? And even though this is late night TV, he was definitely crossing some lines. <laughs> the fact that he like in apparently completely unplanned fashion he just called out Austin and Austin like yep. 
the, the way it plays out, you sort of get the, you get the feel that Austin had to get permission to go and answer it so that his character wouldn't be permanently ruined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just Terry Funk is dangerous with that microphone. Yeah. He is really <laughs> dangerous. Uh, my number two uh, from Northlands Coliseum, September 7th, Raw, Bret Hart, thank you for letting me still be your hero. As a nine-year-old Canadian child at that time, it resonated with me. It still resonates with me. Yeah, just fantastic and heartfelt. And I, I, I have, can't, I'm sure that it doesn't connect to everyone the same way that it does connect to the nine-year-old Canadian child, but just such a great heartfelt moment. Something that you don't get a lot of in wrestling. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, we're up to number, point number one, aren't we? Yep. And I don't think it's a mystery, because I'm just going to go Mankind interview series. Like, pick one. <laughs> I think the first one's the probably the probably the weakest. Uh, so to move more into his wrestling career and his stuff in Japan and oh my god, this is a tour de force. Like some of the best interview work in the history of that company. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I specified number four as my favorite. I had that on in my top five there, but yeah, you can't go wrong with these. <clears throat> Just. Yeah, well, what else can be said? Yeah, uh, go watch them. They're fantastic. Like, I still kind of have the ending seared into my mind where he, you know, where he loses it on JR and, you know, gets angry. I gotta smack you, puts him in the mandible claw, then has this immediate regret and <laughs> calling for help. And later on, they reference that when like Jair has to talk about McFoney as a in like a positive way, and Lawler just needles him with like, "Oh, he attacked you, didn't he?" He's like, "Well, I, I'm hopefully that was an exception." Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it like I completely understand where many people, including Mick himself, say, you know, that was a misstep to go with that. But holy shit, was it fantastic work? Yeah, the whole thing really is like the basis for the launch pad of his character into what he became. So basis and launch pad of a character and what he became. That's, that's an interesting phrase to use because my number one and shockingly not on your top 10 at all, August 18th, raw Rocky explaining why he joined the nation of domination and turned on the fans. (laughs) Okay. I'll let you go with it and then I'll explain. Just he absolutely buries the fans, you know, die, Rocky, die. You thought I didn't hear that. Once again, just stating himself to become this heel. And it was absolutely a flashpoint because you this was almost an instantaneous change where you had white meat babyface Rocky, who had the most awkward interviews, possibly in hindsight, because it was a case of we know how good he was going to become. And he just felt so unconfident, but it just all clicked here, and he was on fire from that moment forward. I think the reason 
that that one doesn't make there's two reasons why firstly it's rocky's still embryonic he's not what he will be he's got huge potential but it wasn't didn't quite make my list and also there's the fact that like rock says is not a race thing he clearly went backstage and vince said god damn it it is a race thing and the next week he had to cut a promo about how it was a race thing <laughs> so there's like there's that little thing overlapping there that sort of slightly affects how i see that one uh but no uh rock at the end of the year was an absolute treat mm-hmm. no i i think rock the character overall got better by the end of the year but i still felt like this was his best promo overall i think you're probably right there All right, uh, next. Uh, what do you say we get into our favorite squash matches of the year? You have read my mind. That is exactly the list I had called up. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess I leave this one off. Yeah, go for it. Um, very cathartic here. Uh, from week number four, I believe this would be uh, January 25th shotgun, Sid Flattening Crush. <laughs> Well, that's that's what a squash match is for. Yep. What do you got next? Okay. Uh I have Ahmed Johnson versus Mike DeSero from week fifteen. Uh this is a <laughs> Ahmed cuts a promo on the guy, call him a milk tud milk dud boy, talks about being off his Prozac. Scissor kicks him, gore busters him, spine busts him, and then Avalanche razors edges the guy off the top rope. Oh my <laughs> god. Ahmed <laughs> <laughs> was a scary motherfucker. This is such overkill. Like, what the fuck, Ahmed? <laughs> Why did you, did you really didn't have to do that? Um, but yeah, uh, great fun. Uh, my number four of Raw. April seventh, uh, I believe this was, uh, you know, Bully Vader just after he got back from Kuwait. Uh, Vader versus Frank Stiletto. Oh, I remember this. I believe this was the one where afterwards Shamrock came out to confront him. <laughs> yeah, just angry Vader. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing quite as so, terrifying. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, speaking of terrifying, my number four on this list was the LOD versus PG-13. I had that higher on my list. Okay, we'll get to get it to now. Pull that card on you now. <laughs> um, my number three, Vader versus said man, February 2nd Superstars. I uh, believe this was the first Vader squash we saw. I think I've undervalued Vader for this category. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just another straight up like 90 second murdering and yeah, very few do it as well as Vader does. Again, speaking of people who do it as well as Vader does, LOD versus Frank Parker and Roger Hill from Shotgun Week 48. This was the one where the, uh, the LOD music hit and then a quarter of a second later, they blindsided Frank Parker and Roger Hill because they just ran down. 
like they like they had to get like they had to be somewhere. It was like Hawk had been told someone was robbing his car in the in the in the parking lot, but he had to do the match first. <laughs> they just annihilate I... these guys in record time. Not, not that I'm going, not that I would uh, call you out on it the same way I would with the headhunters thing, but I don't even think this one actually began as a match. It was just literally <laughs> music hits. They show up, they kill them, they walk away. The end. Almost, yeah. I mean, no I, belt, no pin, but I, I, yeah, I, I know, it, it, it shows up on cage match. I know for a fact okay. this one shows up on cage match because uh, otherwise like I, I, I wouldn't have been able to research the guys. I was gonna say it. It, it is it is totally a splitting hairs thing and not the same comparison as the the headhunters <laughs> fiasco. Um, my number two, this was LOD versus PG thirteen from May twelfth Raw because it is a squash match with one with one of the great squash tag teams ever, and there's a storyline to it. Oh man, when they get when they when the nation takes those guys and shoves them down the ramp. To force them to go fight against the LOD, you just think, "Oh, these poor, poor boys." <laughs> yep, it's, it's, it's a it's a comedy squash match, is what it is. It's great. Yeah, they they hit their finisher and then they hit a second finisher, so the guy lands on top of the other guy, <laughs> <laughs> so they can pin them at the same time. It's uh, it's fantastic stuff. It was necessary. Um. <laughs> What is your number two? Uh, Crush, D'Lo, and Savio Vega versus Aldo Montoya, Freddie Joe Floyd, and Steve Carino. Uh, for yes, shot, that... Shotgun Week 14. The only reason I didn't list that, uh, like, I like that match. I didn't list it as a squash, though, because I thought the uh, the jobbers, Carino especially, actually got a decent amount of decent amount of offense in. I think they tried, but at the same time, Steve Carino looks like he's 14 at this point. <laughs> it was just... Like, I, I recall there being some good work between D'Lo and Carino, so that, that's kind of why I didn't listen to the squash match. That's fair. I, I, it I, is a I, little I, bit of a hidden gem, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I do believe we have a consensus number one. <laughs> How could we not? We couldn't. We could never stop talking about it after we saw it. Um, May seventeenth, shotgun, Jim Neidhart and poor Marty Garner. Oh my god! I went back and watched it again. It's still fantastic. <laughs> Just the sheer glee that all the rest of the Heart Foundation have in helping him attack this guy who was gonna lose anyway. The fact that Jim Neidhart <laughs> finishes the match with a slam. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's so contemptuous. They're being such dicks for no reason. <laughs> uh, but they had to get uh, Jim Neidhart over for something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was that. And if you got four minutes and access to that episode of Shotgun, go out your way and watch it. It is a squash match unlike any other. I still can't believe we were talking about it at the time. Oh, they'll put Shotgun on the network at some point. <sighs> they still haven't. Yeah, at this We're point, still going to have to come back and do those lost matches eventually. At this point, I'm my boycott of the network is as much about their lack of Shotgun as it, is it about the as about the moral character of the company. It's like, all right, how much? We would have thought by now they would have had everything filled up. Like, 
Superstars only has like a year and a half worth of content. And it's like, how the hell are you not putting that up there? How the hell is there no Golden Age Hulk Hogan era syndicated TV on there? That's that's a damn travesty. Well, they never stopped talking about the goddamn Attitude Era, but Shotgun's not on the network? Come on. Mm-hmm. So, we need to have we need to talk about which list we want to do next. I think we need to do a serious list. And our, uh, last, our two serious lists, well, we could do matches or acts here, I think. I'd want to save acts for the end. So if you want to do top 10 pay-per-view matches, we can do that. And then most interesting and uh, MVPs, I guess. Yeah, that sounds fair. All right. Well, I'll let you lead off because, uh, uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I've been leading off the comedy list. You've been leading off the the major lists. Yeah, we'll change it up. All right. So... Our top 10 each pay-per-view matches of 1997. Uh, I will start mine off with one that I had kind of mentioned during our best TV matches. Uh, Great Sasuke versus Takamichinoku from Canadian Stampede. Uh, That is higher on my list. All right. Your top 10. Uh, I'm going to start off with uh, Mankind versus Triple H, Cage Match, SummerSlam. Okay. I I enjoyed it for what it was. I thought there was a little bit too much China interference for a cage match, (laughs) which was very much a problem with China and Triple H this year overall. Um, But yeah, no, loved the loved the ending, loved the transformation into dude love, even if the uh, the whole body paint experiment failed. I the reason I went for this one is because I wanted them for you to be represented on the paper on the pay-per-view matches list, because I felt that they had, they had they, overall, they had a really good series. But I was really struggling mm. to nail down which one. So, this is the one I went for in the end. Uh, I think Meltzer gave it the highest star rating of any of them. Um, well, I was going to say, how many they had, they did King of the Ring, they did Canadian Stampede, they did SummerSlam, they did One Night Only, yes? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I personally preferred their match at Stampede. I mean, we we don't have a best shows of the year thing if only just because it's so obvious it's stampede far and away the only thing i have against the stampede one is the fact that it's uh doesn't have an ending although it does have a hilarious brawl what do you mean doesn't have an ending well they they well they they they, what i mean is like the match like continues to the outside and continues out into the crowd and continues going on and on and on. Um, it didn't feel like a definitive ending to the feud, is what I meant. So, Okay. And it's also overshadowed by the other matches on that show. So, Fair enough. I, I like As much as I probably lowball my rating for that main event compared to a lot of people, I still thought as a like as a story and a finish, it was great. It was the like was it the end of the story? No, but it was the feel good chapter. You know, unless you're an American. But <laughs> wait, no, I'm talking. About, I'm talking about the the Mankind Triple H match. Oh, oh, okay. 
Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I, we I really like I really like okay, the main yes. event of Canadian Stampede. I liked it more than you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Okay. Found the, found the source Sorry, of our confusion I was, here. I was talking about the show as a whole, and then you started talking about how there was no finish and it brawled all outside and all this. Like that sort that still kind of technically applies to the main event. That's why I was getting thrown off there. No, no, that that, um, that applies. I was talking about Mankind versus Triple H when they basically yes, brawled to the outside, exactly. and then they're still fighting like during Taka versus Sasuke. I still wish that what they would have done is, like, at some point on Raw, you have a clip of them in Red Deer, the halfway point between Calgary and Edmonton, still <laughs> brawling around, and then you have them brawl into the building in Edmonton the next night. <laughs> Dustin Rhodes has a truck to loan you. <laughs> I was going more for that uh, one Chikara <clears throat> match way back in the day. Uh, so your number nine. My number nine, also from Canadian Stampede, uh, Undertaker versus Vader. I have it higher. <laughs> All right, then what is your number nine? Uh, Shamrock versus Vader from A Cold Day in Hell. Okay. Um, I came around I on it. I did not have that one on the list. I came around on it. It, it, it's, it was. It's it's violent. He's up. <laughs> no, it is uh it is a definitely a unique match. It is definitely a curio to go out of your way and watch at the bare minimum. But uh yeah, no, it 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 was a fun match. I just didn't have it quite that high. I think I had it on my on my short list that didn't get uh that didn't make the cut to the top 10, but yeah, violent striking and just something very different. So you're number eight. Uh, King of the Ring, Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin. I have that higher. <laughs> Why am I even here? <laughs> <laughs> you're number Look, eight, Tom. I'll, I'll let you lead on this one because it's Undertaker versus Vader from Canadian Stampede. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, just a fucking great Hoss fight. Like, the, the, I'm not saying they're going at a cruiserweight pace, but they're going at, like, a Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels pace, and for two guys that big, that is saying something. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a fight, you know, and they're really, like you say, they're really moving in a way that you don't expect, because, like, it's like, we're only like a year away from Yoko being in the company and Yoko was not moving mm -hmm. like this. Um, yeah, these guys are two of the best guys of that size ever as far as in ring. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, they really work well together. So. No, I just, yeah, I, I, it goes without saying, go to your way to watch the damn pay-per-view. <laughs> it's mm. only like an hour 50. All right, my number seven that I'm sure Tom will have higher on his list, uh, the final four match. It's higher on my list. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to let you take the lead on this one, because my number seven is Austin versus Sean from King of the Ring week 23. <laughs> uh, yeah, while the finish is, you know, definitely a, um, a schmoz of all schmozzes, 
just fantastic work between the two. Fantastic character work building off of the TV match against uh, Owen and Bulldog where they win the tag titles. And now they have to get their frustrations out because, well, long story short, because Bret Hart couldn't work this pay-per-view. But, yeah, no, just pre-injury Austin versus Shawn Michaels. Like, they would have a more high-profile match at WrestleMania the next year, but both of them were so physically fucked up by that point, it couldn't be as good as this one was. And, yeah, definitely. It it seems to be one that goes under the radar a good bit just because it is a a chapter in a story. It is not a blow-off to anything, and it doesn't have any type of resolution. It was basically just two guys who... They didn't want to blow everything they had potential for their feud on a short term angle. So they, these are two guys keeping almost all their tricks in their pockets and not really thinking and just trying to do a basic match. And it's still fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like a, that's again, one of those gems which you can really pluck out from this year that more people should think about. So. All right, my number six. I mean, we eventually have to get to one that you don't have listed uh, on yours, too. (laughs) Uh, One night only, Bret Hart versus The Undertaker. Okay, we found we found the limit here. I don't have that on any list at all. So. Um, So, yeah, another one which unfortunately falls victim to Schmaz, you know, no proper finish. But this was just. 30 minutes of fantastic work. While I did enjoy the SummerSlam match between the two, of course, HBK was a big part of the story there, and they had to pad out an extra 10 minutes, it felt like, because the Owen and Austin match got cut short. Uh, This was just them being able to go out and do their match. You know, they had to run the finish that they did to protect both the title situation as well as Undertaker, but it was just two guys who knew how to work going out and working and doing everything they could to give them a good memory before Shawn Michaels buried the frickin' bulldog in England. Yeah, I completely overlooked it, unfortunately. But uh, I am going to give you another chance to talk here, Kellen, because my next pick, number six, was the final four from week seven. So there's actually like three picks in a row where I was just displacing you by picking one ro- one rung higher. I went ahead. <laughs> you 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 outbid me by one dollar on the Price Is Right, is what you're saying here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, just oh, bef- this is before they ever did triple threat matches. This is before multi mans were a regular thing where you'd have you know. Lucha Underground episodes where, yeah, we're just going to do a couple of 10-way one-fall matches, you know, just for the heck of it. So, number one, this was a unique setup. Number two, it was playing off the angle from the Royal Rumble, which I distinctly remember as a child. And, I mean, when your worst worker in the match is maybe Austin, you're (laughs) doing pretty well as far as work rate goes. Uh, yeah, Vader's eye exploding, more or less, is, you know, iconic with this match. It was just a 
a fight, a brawl, just four people putting their working boots on and having one heck of a match. Might have been a little bit cooler if they didn't have the over-the-top rope stipulation and it was actually pin submission, but a small, small knock on it. I didn't mind the -the over-the-top rule just because that's... I watch a lot of Japanese elimination matches and that's part of their rules. And I've seen how cool it can be done. Uh, so it's the kind of thing I'd, uh, kind of rules I'd like to see incorporated more into US wrestling, not less. Um, mm-hmm. but as far as like, okay, we've got like Undertaker and Vader on this list, obviously. And at some point, I assume we're going to have Brett versus Austin. So shoving all four of them in the ring at the same time, it's probably a good idea. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, and this was just chaos and really, really fun. Surprisingly, I, I, I wasn't expecting this one at the time. So, uh, my number five pay-per-view match of the year: Max Mini versus El Torito from Ground Zero in your house. <laughs> Holy shit! That's a great. That's a great call. <laughs> uh, yeah, like they the minis got you know they got. Two months where it seemed like every match of theirs or every show of theirs had a match or every show they had had a match of theirs on it. Easy enough for me to say. But this is the only one where it felt like they were actually given significant time. And because it was just a singles match instead of the usual tag, they were actually able to build a match with like spots and story and all that good shit all in there at once. The commentary was surprisingly kind to them like and it was such a like we were watching every episode in order you did not know this match was happening until during the opening of the pay-per-view Vince is like and the mighty minis from Mexico will be here as well and you're like okay what kind of BS is this going to be no they go out there and they tear the house down for 10 or 12 minutes Yeah, it was fantastic it is yeah, it's different from anything else that you had seen before or really any. I mean, I, I can't really compare it to any one other thing. There have been other mini matches. There was the juniors division. I can't remember the combination of where a little people match was treated with, with this level of seriousness and delivered this type of work rate. I remember vividly JR referring to them as athletes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, these guys absolutely deserve acknowledgement for the year because they were super fun. As a rule, the minis just, they, they were, they had really entertaining matches almost all the time. And, uh, you know, in a similar way to the Taka matches getting overlooked slightly by me because they're just, the, the, ma- the matches weren't long enough or they weren't given enough focus. I wish I had included more along their lines. But I, I love this. I love this selection. Nice one. Your uh, number five. My number five I think is used up all of mine. <laughs> uh, the Royal Rumble from week three. Uh, I love this Royal I have Rumble. It ah, there you go. Okay. Ha, revenge. <laughs> uh, my number four, also from Ground Zero in your house, is Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. Okay. I don't, uh, I don't I, have it higher, so. Honest, I'm honestly surprised at how many, like, just looking back, how many of these top ten matches of mine had Schmaz finishes, but 
it didn't feel like it was wasted in this case. Just once again, two guys that know how to work going out, beating. Well, I should say Undertaker beat the crap out of Michaels. Michaels got a little bit of heat back, but this was Michaels gets the shit beat out of him. And he's just able to escape by the skin of his teeth by the most ridiculous means possible. This is fantastic. And spoiler, we'll be talking about another matches of theirs in a, a couple minutes here. But I would genuinely recommend anyone that wants to go back and watch the Hell in a Cell, watch this one first as a, as a bit of a warm up to it. Great call. Yeah. Uh, well, my number four is Takamichinoku versus Great Sasuke from Canadian Stampede. Uh, okay. This is, this is what your number... Now you've, well, this is my number 10. 10, okay. Uh, yeah, the best example of the light heavyweight uh, division from the year, I think. Um, an absolute coming out party for Takamichinoku. They get the crowd into it, which is impressive. Uh, it's completely unique. Unique from the cruiserweight style in WCW, unique from anything in the company at the time. And it's just fantastic. And his reputation is deserved. Mm -hmm. So, Absolutely. Great work from both of them. And yeah, the, the fact that they actually got the proper amount of time to work it. like the, the fact that they cut the Canadian Stampede show from the usual five matches down to four meant that all four of those matches had proper time and while triple h versus mankind from that show and the main event did not make our top 10 list or at least not my top 10 lists um yeah just it allowed everything to breathe and it was great and this match was absolutely no exception my number three is the royal rumble match ah okay so you didn't uh you uh I thought you were going to call me out on the Royal Rumble match from earlier, so, okay. <laughs> what, you thought I was going to tell you it wasn't a match? <laughs> no, because I, I was my number five, so. Okay. No, I'm, I I get where you're going with uh, your stuff so far. We're kind of splitting hairs on things, but yeah, no. One of my favorite Royal Rumbles, I honestly think it's it's still, to this day, probably only 92 and 01 would go ahead of it. Wait, which number are we on now? This is my number three. Number three. I said Royal Rumble for number five, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm just clarifying. Sorry. My brain is not <laughs> working today. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on the Royal Rumble match for those who didn't listen to our thoughts about it seven years ago? Uh, it's one of the best Rumbles. It's a mm -hmm. fantastic example of Austin getting over. It's a really well-told story. It has, it has like a big questions to be answered at the end. It sets tons of stuff up. And uh, I just love Royal Rumbles. So. And it also had Mil Mascaris being a total bitch. <laughs> uh, as always. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that our top two are both going to, it's going to be the same as the TV uh, <laughs> matches where it's going to be a, a number one and number two are obvious. So I'm interested. What is your number three? Uh, it is Kenny and Stampede uh, Hearts versus America. 
Uh, gotcha. Why, why I corrected myself to saying at least I didn't, because I'm like, wait, no, Tom might have put it there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I had to put it on this list. I love the match. I love the atmosphere. Um, the the heat of the whole thing is incredible. The work's tremendous. Uh, it's one of those wild things you'll ever see on television uh, in the WWF. So... Yeah, I I couldn't I couldn't avoid putting it on putting it on my list and putting it high. I but at the time I was I was more into it than you were, I think, as well. So Well and, and here's the thing. I talked before about, you know, the uh, the nine year old Canadian kid and how like being a sports fan in ninety seven as a Canadian was not really you you did not have a ton of good stuff happening. I, I've told the story before. Um in the two years prior there were two NHL teams that relocated from Canada to the United States, one of them being my Winnipeg Jets. Um, you were just not used to seeing Canadians succeed at that point, uh, the way that they had in a generation prior or even more so these days. Our top tennis player defected to England. Um, so, yeah, it was... It was really cool to see that if we were to do a top moments list as we eh, maybe we should have since it was kind of our gimmick. But regardless, I probably would have put both the entrances of Team Canada and the post-match celebration as separate entries in the top 10 list, possibly both in the top five. I just didn't think the bell to bell was as fantastic as the hype for the match would have suggested. Fair enough. I mean, I, I still, I, I loved it just as much as I thought I would again. So, yeah. All right. So let's see if we put our top two in the same order. My number two is Hell in a Cell from Bad Blood. Uh, exactly the same. Okay. So for all the reasons that I loved the Ground Zero match and ranked it as high as I did, it's all that and then some and then throw on the debut of one of the more iconic uh, gimmick matches that WWE does these days and the work involved and the angle at the end with Kane and Shawn Michaels still just squeaking out the, the damn win. And yeah, no, this is, this is near perfection. Like I, I feel bad trying to point out flaws in it to justify putting the other match at number one, but if there's such a thing as there being two perfect in multiple ways matches, it would be these two. In a way, it's one of the best non-clean finishes of all time because it's better than a clean finish would have been because you mm-hmm. bounce the whole of Kane's thing off the back of this. Sean comes out of it with something to do. Taker comes out of it with something to do. It's improved by that somehow, miraculously. And as much as we mm-hmm. talk about how like Sean sells for animal in the matches with the LOD, my God, he makes Taker look absolutely undefeatable. It's, it's the Shawn guy like... literally runs out of the cage. He runs away from the match. <laughs> he runs for higher ground. It just doesn't work. It's Sean's best work of the year, easily. And mm-hmm. and he did a lot of great work. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, bad blood, no question. Mm-hmm. 
And the Kellen and Tom consensus number one match of the year is Bret Hart versus Steve Austin submission match, WrestleMania 13. No surprise there. A very, very boring pick because everyone who did cover it this year or indeed this decade would pick it. But it's that yeah, good. You'd be surprised how many people would put Hell in a Cell over it, but... It's that good, though. You know, it's... Yeah. It's pure. It's just phenomenal. I mean, like we said at the time, we were talking about how like Austin did a retrospective on the match, and Brett's talked about the match afterwards as well. So you've got these really great insights into the psychology of how the match was put together, and just the sheer grittiness of it between the two of them, and the success of the finish, one of the possibly the greatest finish in the history of wrestling. Mm-hmm. I mean... No, that uh, that image of I mean the the image of a bloody Austin sold many a T-shirt. <laughs> Absolutely, um, and that image is grotesque as well. It's amazing. Um, yeah, no question. I mean, anyone who's seen matches from this year, who's seen this match, I mean, like you say, many people might say bad blood, but for both of us, the answer was clear. All right, next list up, we are going to be talking about our most interesting wrestlers or acts of the year. So these are, you know, OSW fans know of the boys, uh, that sort of stuff. You know, people that were not genuinely great, but we still really want to talk about them. So, uh, Tom, did you want to lead off on this one? Absolutely. Uh, my number 10 All right. is Sonny. Uh, God, she's talented. I actually have Sonny higher on the list. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Let's go to your number 10. All right. My number 10, uh, he's Nama Unbrakis. Okay, yeah, not on my list. Cause, just because it's like, hype him, hype him, hype him, hype him. Nothing happened for nine <laughs> months. <laughs> then he showed up in Brawl for All, and then he had a singles match, and then he went away. He had, I can't think of someone that had more hype videos than in-person appearances. Maybe <laughs> Awesome Kong, that's karma. Yeah. Yeah, he was impressively unable to deliver. <laughs> uh, my number nine, number nine is Flash Funk. Uh, Besides being, like, the undercard workhorse, like, maybe mm -hmm. Mr. Shotgun Saturday Night, I think we decided in the end. Yep. Um, yep. He was, like... If we didn't, I'll, I'll give it to him now. <laughs> yeah. Um, as much as, like, the guy becomes, like, just a guy on the roster towards the back end of the year, he also had that, like, the ridiculously fun dancers gimmick of the for the first half of the year mm -hmm. as well, with, like, the big wide-brimmed hat. Like, they were really trying to do something for him there. Um, no, and, and like, of course, even Vince if you go back to, oh, sorry, go ahead. Vince would recycle that gimmick over and over as well, but uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, I I really appreciate what the, what they were trying to do with the guy. Well, and if you go back to like his debut in early '96, they were trying to make him something of you know a proper mid card legitimate person. Early in the year, he was the guy squashing people. By the end of the year, he was the guy getting squashed. 
it like I I can't think of someone whose position on the card had such a steady downward climb from January to December. But he, sh- uh, he should have been there, Johnny B. Bad. In a lot of ways, like he should have mm-hmm. been that fun mid card character who gets a lot of feuds and stuff. But they just did. They never had anything for him to do. <laughs> no, I I think that's actually a proper thing. I was going to say. If only they had a properly slotted tertiary championship by that point, but unfortunately not, and D'Lo Brown was there to scoop up the mantle the next year. Like, they tried to do some stuff with him in early 98. Like, do you remember when they actually teamed him up with Terry Funk? (laughs) As the Funk Brothers? Yes, the the infamous (laughs) Funk Brothers. Yes. Much better than when Terry was teaming with his actual brother. (laughs) <laughs> there's a twitter yes, storm in a teacup Hoss. for you <laughs> the current online debate over whether or not Hoss Funk was any good <laughs> um, my number nine uh, could be a little bit of a controversial pick because he's not on the top ten best overall but Ken Shamrock okay yeah not on my list but uh now question did he make your your genuine top 10 no he's been completely okay. overlooked okay um because yeah just him coming in from ufc and you know doing the ref thing cutting terrible promos <laughs> cutting more terrible promos <laughs> being the worst t- pay-per-view title challenger i have ever seen sort of <laughs> Actually, no, I no. Bob Holly was actually pushed going into it. He They let him beat Big Show when he was going to face Lesnar. They, meanwhile, there's the uh, infamous non-squash match that you had mentioned. Yeah, I, I I probably should have found a spot for Shamrock on this, but the guy has But he was so... also a genuinely good in-ring wrestler. Yeah, yeah, that's he's got so many shades of like there's great potential there. He has really big limitations. They put together so many video packages for the guy as well. Like in terms of like serious video packages, it was like him and Patriots who got the big ones. Yep. Um more on him later. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't actually put him on my list either. Oh my. Um, no, this is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting. Um but yeah, I, I, like, I now, wish I'd thought of that. With that being said, I was going to say, now that being said, 98 and 99 before he leaves Shamrock, that guy legit goes on a top 10 list. But yeah, 97 was, we, we said many times, is a guy dumping out the pieces of a puzzle and slowly trying to put them together, but not quite getting done. Yeah, this is the guy who has a puzzle, but doesn't know what the picture is. Yep. <laughs> All right, who was your number nine? Uh, uh, number eight at this point. So. Um, oh, sorry. Yes, you you started. I went with uh, the Jackal, Feet Kurgan. Truth Commission in general, or just those two? <laughs> well, kind of a combination, uh, because I love the fact that there was this obviously crappy failing gimmick, and the Jackal just ripped mm-hmm. it apart and made something new. And also, yep. we both love the old school manager and monster vibe they have at the end of the year. Um, yeah, no, Kurgan was interesting, and like, is he a crap wrestler? Yeah, he's a bad wrestler. Um, 
But, I mean, what else can be said about Jackal other than the fact that, oh, hey, look, the guy's back. The guy's got himself back in the spotlight again. <laughs> the invisible hand of pro wrestling. I love it. Yeah, the guy's gone from managing Kurgan in 97 to managing one of the like the top champions in the whole of the business. And being the main booker for a company. So, yeah, God bless yeah. Don Callis. But yeah. I, it, even for nothing else, tearing apart the Truth Commission dramatically improves the like the plus negative ratio of the entire roster. So, yep. uh, yeah, good, good on Don for that. Solid that. pick. Solid pick. Uh, my number eight was Mark Merrow and Sable. Ah, oh, they just missed my list. They, I mean, yeah, obviously, if you've been listening to this, you know what their whole deal is. But seeing Mark go from, well, I said Flash Funk. Well, Mark Merrow did not have the same steady decline because he did have a little bit of an uptick towards the end of the year before starting to fall again. Uh, so, like, you know, the, the the dead cat bounce to use stock market parlance. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just seeing him go from, you know, intercon, you know, he just lost the IC title. He's still contending for the championship to injury to Sable becoming white hot just by, you know, going out there and not wearing a ton. And then Mark comes back with the completely reworked gimmick, and it just turns into a vehicle to get Sable over. Sable is a fascinating person this year, just because she shows mm. so so few of the signs of being a person. I mean, like the <laughs> only time that I can recall, like what seemed to be actual humanity was the. The chance for a million contest when the kid failed. Yeah. Which that that whole thing was just something else. Yeah. And a little bit when she did her striptease at Christmas. And there was the um the, the whole show, USO vibe. The house show style match where she kisses dude love. Okay, yes, that one too. <laughs> I think the few times where they relied on her to actually do something other than be berated. Um, yes, but yeah, uh, almost made my list. Almost going from one incre- incredibly sexy duo to another. Uh, I have Jerry Lawler and Brian Christopher at number seven. I love the relationship. Another these... solid pick. <laughs> Not on your list. Not on my list, but uh, definitely, definitely a worthy entry. Jerry's such a complicated figure obviously and brian's pretty complicated too he's not neither of them above being you know a bit racist or a bit controversial or a bit horrendous in their private lives but Mm -hmm. jerry has some really 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 fun matches this year and he's good on commentary and the whole ribbing thing that jr gets to do about brian christopher being his son is hilarious and Brian's good this year as well. He has a lot. He has some good matches in light heavyweight division. Um, they just genuinely have between the two of them a lot of fun this year, and I I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed them for that. So that that's the right word to use about uh, those two. 
Like I, I still love the damn Jetta laugh that uh, that <laughs> Brian Christopher would bust out at this time. Uh, yeah, the, the the guy just the guy would set himself up to fail, and you would be happy to see him fail when he would. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of unpredictable gems in their in their performances this year, mm-hmm. so. My number seven was uh, the artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. Okay, that's higher on my list. I have. All right. Uh, so for my number six, I'm going to go with China featuring Hunter. Uh, <laughs> Another good shout that didn't make my list. Well, I think Hunter made two great strides this year that forever changed his career. Firstly, China shows up, and secondly, mm-hmm. he joins DX. And I don't think the I don't think the second one happens without the first. Uh, I have I am not like a massive China fan in the history of China. Like, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. But she was a phenomenal bodyguard for him. She was a great part of the act. She elevated him immediately. I don't think he stands equal as equal to Sean without her propping him up. Um, mm-hmm. But their whole dynamic, like her being like this bruiser on the outside who was like a threatening presence, um, really worked. I mean, I love the, I love the moment when uh, Marlena like tries to throttle her legitimately at ringside <laughs> with like a handbag strap or something. Um it just it, it made his act in something that really worked and something that really fit. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh, that's my choice for number six. No, I, I can completely get that one. Uh, as much as the whole like, and I, I guess in some ways it's just good heel heat in the sense of it always felt like the rules didn't apply to China, and I don't mean that in the oh she was a fierce woman that broke down barriers. No, as in. China's banned from ringside. China walks down to ringside and the mm. refs don't do anything about it. That sort of stuff. But no, she she played her well excellently. It did give Hunter a dynamic that nobody else had. And yeah, uh, the the few moments where they actually let China have a personality, she actually did come across pretty likable, which probably played into her continued ascension. My number six is our good friend Del Wilkes. Oh, yeah. God bless him. The Patriot. You know, you know what's a great way to debut a guy? Just have him randomly walk out on stage with a few other people. <laughs> you know what else is a great idea for a guy who has an American Patriot gimmick in his second week? Send him to Halifax. <laughs> Uh, promo on how patriotism isn't always actually a good thing <laughs> yeah the, the whole i don't care who you're patriotic about as long as you're patriotic it's like well, what if my country's horrendous <laughs> <laughs> he's really he you know what he's he might not like kim jong-un but he really likes the north koreans that stand for that flag <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> And like the first person that um shots of him running uh, of his football games as well. 
like where they stick a camera inside a football helmet and have it run down the river. Yes. <laughs> He's really bizarre. Run around in the stadium. It's like they did so many examples of really, really well building and debuting characters this year. And my God, the Patriots, one of the laziest, most. It doesn't feel like it's from this year, does it? It feels like it's from 93. Hmm. Yes. So, yeah, no, like he had some decent matches, like he inexplicably beat Bret Hart and then challenged him for the title, despite having not been on the pay-per-view prior. Like, the guy wasn't on SummerSlam, and then goes on to be in the co-main of, uh, of Ground Zero. And, yeah, like, I want to say he deserved better, but I don't know if he actually did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a limited. And gimmick. by the time, and 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 by the time that you know, he might have actually been able to, you know, stay as a memorable character, he was gone. And then they kept using his music for other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not it. talking he... about just using it for Kurt Angle years later. <laughs> it was like the body's not even cold yet, and they're using it for yeah. someone else. <laughs> For Sergeant Slaughter and for Team America. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Are you oh, mildly man. patriotic? Yep, all right, here <laughs> you go. Have the music. Take his flag, too. Yeah. Here, have his mask. I own the gimmick. Have his mask. <laughs> Sal Sincere, would you like this mask? Yes, I would. Sal Sincere does the gimmick <laughs> on the indies. Yep, yep. And he may or may not have received permission to do so. Oh, no, he bought the gimmick. Uh, so my number five is Jesse James and Rockabilly. Okay, and, uh, and, they and are the, not on this list. And the whole dog and gun well, extravaganza. <laughs> I do but, not have them on this list. It's just one of the great running narratives of our whole year, where these two guys who are stuck doing nothing at the start of the year, they get a storyline and it's kind of linked. And it just slowly works its way. And by the end of the year, they're this overact. And how did that happen? Mm -hmm. How did that happen? That they like went from being two of the most also ran guys on at the start of the year to being relevant. Um, yep. They, they and, and, God, we hated the tag team division for so long because it was so boring. They got the headbangers yes. and LOD and the Godwins. The Blackjacks, the Godwins. Yeah, it was just this mire. And and by the end of the year, I'm kind of into it because the outlaws are at least are a breath of fresh air. So I will have more to say about them a little bit later. Very good. My number five is our good friend Softball Sid. <laughs> Not on my list. Shocking. Um, yeah, uh, just... And, and you could put Sid on this sort of list for pretty much any year he was a part of. The guy just... He, he had 
so much talent that he could have applied to being a great wrestler. He has the look, he has the promo, he has just this scary aura to him. Like, I recently went back and I, well, I should say I went back. For the first time, I watched Sid versus Sean at Survivor Series 96. Holy shit, that's a great match. And Sid getting to carry that momentum into the start of the year. And then he just, you know, he was main event of WrestleMania. He went into WrestleMania as the champion. And then he just went away. Yeah. No explanation. He's facing Bret Hart on the next pay-per-view. No, he's not. Nah, he'll he'll face Austin again. Okay, where'd Sid go? I don't know. Call the superstar line. We might have something. I don't know. And then he walked out next to Patriot for no reason. Looking smaller. And then he came back a few weeks later, had a couple of matches, stunk out the joint with Undertaker, had a six-man tag at King of the Ring, had a match against Owen Hart, beat the IC champion clean in a non-title match. Then he was gone. Firstly, okay, he was smaller because of that softball, that injury for softball, remember? He couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't train as hard. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, um, good call for this list. Didn't quite make it for me, so. Your number four. Los Bariquas. They're higher on my list. Okay, I'm very glad. Uh, So your number (laughs) four. The Legion of Doom. Okay. Just... What a year they had. I mean, they were they were a great act. They were not good enough wrestlers to make the actual list of good wrestlers. So I guess a lot of the people end up on this list because of kind of like ironically entertaining reasons. These guys were what they were supposed to be. And while they were not great by any means... Like, they had a couple of decent matches against the Godwins who were better than they should have been, which isn't saying much. But they went out and they filled the role they were supposed to, and they were good at it. They did their crazy promos. They had their great squash matches. They did their power wrestling. And they ended the year putting over the New Age Outlaws and DX. Um, This is more of a case of they didn't make the top ten, but I feel that they deserve some recognition and well, I guess the one ironic thing would be Hawk booping up of everything, even fucking Kane's tombstone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh god, yeah. When you put it like that, I wish I'd put them on my list. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly, they had. There's a ton of fun memories with the LOD this year, which is is you don't really think about because there was a lot of the year where they were stuck in really boring feuds, but. Mm-hmm. They did have highlights, you know, that the tag match again uh, with um, with with Sean and uh, and Hunter was fantastic. And. It just them it winning the tag belts match aside was, I thought, a really great moment. Yeah. Yeah. The crowd were electric for that. So um, they probably deserve more recognition than I'm giving them. Your uh, number three. My number three is Gold Dust. Okay. Uh, and I think it's primarily again because he had this really consistent attention in the mid card. 
add character-based attention as well. We had we talked earlier about mix interview series. Gold Dust interview series almost made my interview list because yep. I thought it did a great job. And of, that. It, it, I thought it did a great job of really establishing his character, establishing his relationship with his father. Stuff that still echoes in his echoes in what he's doing now today. Um, mm-hmm. And he's this white meat baby face, and yes, he has to um, disavow being uh, gay uh, to do it, but he also feels like he speaks for that community in some ways. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the year, he just they completely deform and corrupt him into this sickly, pleasure-seeking sleazebag. The guy's had as many bad segments as good segments, but he was interesting to watch. I know I'm in the minority. I still like the artist formerly known as Goldust, if only just because the guy... There are very few things that I find as enjoyable in wrestling is bad gimmicks that people do their best to get over. See Spirit Squad. See Undertaker, really, if you think <laughs> about it. Um, artist formerly known as Goldust is definitely, well, probably more Spirit Squad than... Uh, that Undertaker, but you get the idea I'm going with. He worked, he did everything he could to get it over. Some of it was crap. Sam, I am. No, thank you, ma'am. Um, but overall, just, yeah, the, the guy was a constant presence. And he was a solid hand in the ring more often than not. Crush match exception. Uh and yeah, he had the weird gimmicks going on with Pillman and that whole thing. But yeah, he was uh, he was definitely a point of interest. I mean, uh, uh, when you talk about the artist formerly known as Goldust, that, I mean, there are definite highlights in there, like everything he does with Vader, mm-hmm. where he's claiming <laughs> to be claiming to be paralyzed <laughs> from yeah. from the neck down. Like it's like, so. I'm shocked that artist formerly. I'm shocked that quote-unquote new gold dust won a pair of worst awards in the observer newsletter that year oh for god's sake he's nowhere near the worst yeah let me let me pull these up here because i i do have them for reference yeah worst gimmick new gold dust with 68 votes second place truth commission 58 glacier third place 57 degeneration x 30 rockabilly 28 Dude, love 25. What? Wow. Oh, my God. These people. Let me finish the list. Let me finish this list. This is hilarious. Um, NWO, 17 votes. Sting <laughs> got 12 votes. Oh, Kane got nine votes. And for some reason, nine people thought that Flash Funk was the worst gimmick in all of wrestling. Oh, my God. Uh... Most embarrassing wrestler. New Goldust, 176 votes. Second place, Hulk Hogan, 105. Third, <laughs> Shawn Michaels, 49. <laughs> then Glacier, the Godwins, Roddy Piper, Sandman, Jim Duggan, New Jack, the Interrogator, and Giant Baba. <laughs> Sorry, New Jack is embarrassing. That's really not the word that comes to mind. He is New as Jack. embarrassing as Jim Duggan is. He's, New, New Jack's terrifying. Well, you, I, I'm so embarrassed that he stabbed that child. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, oh, what a social faux pas. 
<laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, Gold, Gold Dust was fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're on to my number three now, right? I think so. All right. This is where I slotted Sunny. Fair enough. The the running gag all year, they were just looking for something for her to do. <laughs> and really, why the hell? Like, I can under I understand from interviews where it's like we didn't trust her to manage someone at this time because she was so fucking flighty. They tried doing Sunny Undercover, which okay was like diet superstar line. Remember when they brought out uh, Vader to act like a creep towards her? Wasn't that the best episode of that show? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the only one where something actually happened instead of her, you know, trying to peddle the dirt. Uh, Sunny Super Soaker mission. Uh, her cutting a Rick Rude promo at Madison, or at uh, in New York. Yeah. For the arm wrestling match. Uh, what else did she do? Um, well, she was the official ring announcer for the minis. Yes, and the light heavyweights, or yeah. anyone they needed to try and get over. Uh, like, I don't understand why they didn't have her use as a backstage interviewer for more than just the two shows that she did, because she was good at it. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, okay, she doesn't need to be on the road and make every town to do it, and even if she fails to show up, you were just doing the announcers remotely interviewing people backstage for most of the year, and that was awkward as shit. Man, every time we saw Doc Hendricks on the screen, I was just thinking, well, Sonny hasn't shown up. Mm-hmm. Sonny's fantastic. I mean, she knows yep. what she's talking about. She's an absolute smoke show. She's got charisma for days. It's criminal. It's nearly criminal that they couldn't use her more. And I'm not saying that they didn't use her more, that they couldn't use her more. Because obviously <laughs> she has problems. But, oh man. Yeah. There's so, so uh... many episodes where Sonny shows up. And I, I, I was going through like the list of like our favorite moments each week. It's amazing the number of times we just said, of course, if we don't have anything else, we could just say it was Sonny there. Because like <laughs> Sonny was awesome. So yeah. Now one of the uh, one of the sad tragedies of wrestling is just seeing how she currently is. Anyhow, your number two. Uh, my number two is Brian Pillman. How did uh, Brian Pillman not make my list? But uh, <laughs> yeah, he has his limits in the ring. He has absolutely no limits outside the ring. Mm -hmm. um, blasphemy, rape. The guy is an absolute lunatic, but he was fascinating to watch mm -hmm. and, and, and terrifying to watch. Like they did stuff in this year, which is just like way beyond what I'm comfortable with depicting in a wrestling mm -hmm. show. Stuff that was really, really not right. And he was at the center of it, but he also, yeah, was fantastic in other roles. Like he was a great color commentator. He was a great fifth, uh, fifth man in the Heart Foundation. He's just this. There's nobody else like him at all. 
like in the history mm-hmm. of wrestling. No, the guy was absolutely a the guy was a Swiss Army knife this year. He really was. And yeah, he he sucked in the ring unfortunately. And who knows maybe if, you know, he actually decided to settle down and you know, decide to do commentary as a full-time thing, who knows and all that, but and then as much as it is loath to be brought up, the fact that, you know, that he did pass away and that, you know, the shit that happened with Melanie afterwards. Oh man. One of the, one of the yardsticks I've been drawing attention to for comparison for how to handle the loss of somebody as a mm-hmm. wrestling company lately. I mean, AEW did it a hundred percent right. And WWF, the end of the Pillman is an example of how to do it absolutely wrong. And, they... and one of one of the interesting little parallels that I found was that sitting next to Brody Lee Jr. for most of that show, obviously you had Alan Angels on one side. You didn't see him on camera much, but Brian Pillman Jr. was right there because if anybody in that building knows what that kid's going through right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw that. And I again, it's, it's really heartwarming to see the company pay such close attention to the mistakes that other, other other people have made. And I try not to be harsh mm-hmm. um, on other companies for making mistakes about these things. Cause you know, the Benoit tribute show, whatever, I mean, things could have been done very differently there, but mm-hmm. I mean, AEW a hundred percent got it right. And, uh, yeah, uh, Brian Pillman leaves a very interesting legacy. Mm-hmm. Not uh, not to not as a uh, shocking situation, but uh, yeah, that interview. If we're talking about uh, the Observer Worst of the Year awards, um, number one most disgusting promotional tactic: Melanie Pillman interview on Raw. Yeah, beating out the Mo- Montreal at two. My God, when you can beat Montreal in a year, mm-hmm. that's that's terrifying. And yeah, all, all top five were WWF, by the way. Uh, so the Melanie Pillman interview, the Montreal screw job, uh, delivering the little person in the uh, Bret Hart mask after hyping up for an hour that you'd have Bret, uh, the racial angles, and number five, Brian Pillman and Marlena. Yeah, I feel like Brian Pillman should have got a got another higher spot there for the Marlena thing, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, he was the guy was definitely uh, I know I keep saying point of interest, but that that is definitely what he was. Uh, my number two, Los Bariquas. Ah, fantastic. Just for a group that seems to routinely get crapped on, you had four solid workers in there, if not, you know, good for the time. They were in there against some crap, though. They had to wrestle against fucking Crush and Chains and the Harris Eye and fucking Charles Wright. God love the guy, but he cannot get a good match in the ring. And, like genuinely top moment of the year may have been the brawl in the back with <laughs> DOA <laughs> just because it's so over the top
top and hilarious at the same time. Oh man, it's a horrible accident. Oh my god, you gotta come see. <laughs> there's, there's one bike. Oh my god, there's it's two bikes. Like there's is... three bikes, and oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my ah, god, no, I watched it again yesterday. I was crying. I was absolutely <laughs> crying. It was amazing. <sighs> Seriously, I, I think the goal of this podcast is if anyone goes and get and goes on the network to check out that specific <laughs> segment. Oh god. And yeah, no, they they came across as some smart heels. They had a unique look to them, wrapping their way to the ring. I mean, seriously, other than PN News, who had done that to that point before. Um, and yeah, it, it just, it worked. And I, I know we were having the fights early on in the year as to, was Savio a good wrestler or not? And I think I've won that one. Yeah. I, I even out for the headbangers on that one. <laughs> <laughs> No, I really enjoyed Savio by the end of the year. I really enjoyed Los Bariquas by the end of the year. They had that that surprisingly great match with DOA. Like, <laughs> where they faked the leg injury, which is phenomenal. I yes. loved it. Um, yeah, so underrated. So underrated as part of this whole, uh, of this era. Um, it's a shame that they basically turned it sort of like, DX heavies at some point, like just temporarily, but and they don't get they they get anywhere near the focus they deserve. But yeah, I really enjoyed them. So, mm-hmm. and please tell me we have the same number one on this list. Uh, George and Adam, they're, they're not interesting people. <laughs> no, okay, no, um, actually, okay. Are you regularly watching OSW these days? I am, yes. Okay. I marked the fuck out when they were doing the uh, the Slammies episode of WWF Mania, and fucking George popped out. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, he's been doing this for years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's surprising depth to that. <laughs> <laughs> but... Speaking seriously, and nigh on co- incomprehensible, my incomprehensibly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my very best Zubaz large black boots and other incomprehensible fashions right now because Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed Johnson is. Amazing in Most so many interesting ways. Interesting man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Consensus number one. I mean, I've more or less made this a bracketed list, so I had a reason <laughs> to put Ahmed in a featured spot to discuss in this episode. Yeah, you literally put this top 10 most interesting wrestlers act not in our actual top 10, i.e., the Ahmed Johnsons of the world. <laughs> yes. Holy shit. You could not look away from the screen when this guy showed up. I I mean, if it wasn't the Fun with Ahmed promos, it was watching him flail around. Like, (laughs) he is an amazingly uncoordinated yet gifted athlete. (laughs) 
You don't know what you're going to get. You could set up betting pools as to what angle he's going to hit his scissor kick at. <laughs> Every angle possible. <laughs> and just even the booking of him where it's like, all right, we're pushing him, we're pushing him, we're pushing him, we're pushing him, we're pushing him. You know what? Fuck it. Let's turn him heel and kill his momentum. <laughs> but we'll still give him a time. Oh, he's injured. Crap. Well, he's back. Oh, he's injured. Crap. Well, he's back. Oh, he gave himself stigmata. <laughs> uh, he is. Oh, he just... rolled his car. He's <laughs> like, one week he's got a flash win over Vader. The next week he's getting beaten down by, like, his own gang who is just joined because he's got injured again. Like, <laughs> he's. He could not stay healthy long enough to have the singles, any singles matches of note, really. <laughs> I mean, he had wins over people who were below him at that, uh, certain points in the year, like he would face people, and you think, okay, Ahmed's the big guy here, Ahmed's the guy they're pushing, Ahmed definitely is going to win this, and he does, but then he just gets hurt again, and again, and again. And it just... It's what happens... And the most silly and, like, it's one thing to ha- be injury prone. It's another to be to injure yourself in the most ridiculous ways and the most inopportune times imaginable. Like he, like the he got injured like in the brawl after he turned heel to join the Nation of Domination. <laughs> like how do you, how do you absolutely murder your own momentum in a more definitive fashion? Or like his complete recklessness as well. Like his why would you give Ahmed a six foot long plank of wood as his weapon? <laughs> had to be a rib. <laughs> he he had to have broken some ribs. Like he's the most dangerous man in wrestling, and it, it, that includes to himself. Uh, and the promos, of uh, course. The fantastic of course. Like I mean, he didn't make any of my top five swatches either, but he was great at doing those. They always <laughs> seem to be unique. <laughs> Telling Joey Abs to hit him a few times just to psych himself up. Or like, uh, when he kept talking about his zone, like towards the end of the year, he'd like clearly heard a Ken Shamrock yeah. promo and then forgotten it and just decided to use it. So he just kept talking about his zone and getting into his zone. And then, like, at the end, his voice goes up really high and it sounds like he's crying. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how they sign off raw. (laughs) I'm going to get you. (laughs) And then he shows up the next week against Austin where it's like, yeah, I know, Austin, I'm going to get my revenge. (laughs) And then he comes out and Kate comes out and murders him. (laughs) Poor Ahmed. Then he rolled his car. Like seriously, this is <sighs> this is the th- this, this is, is the fine Shakespearean line. tragedy. This is the fine line I was talking about between someone who can who could has just enough to get over that point where you can push him, and then a guy who just collapses and in on himself like a blamanche or like a like a cake of some kind. Souffle, souffle. That's the one. Yeah. Ah. Oh. He was amazing to watch. He really was. All right. Before we get into our our final proper list, the uh, the best wrestlers, 
the MVPs of the year. What are your worst music selections that we listened to this year, and why is it Teletubbies at number one? <laughs> oh, you presume so much. Um, <laughs> number five, Savage Garden. I want you. I hate Savage Garden. I've always hated Savage Garden. F off. And, and it's not going to change. <clears throat> Number four. Elton John, Candle in the Wind. Oh, God. Is this because it was overplayed, or do you just genuinely dislike the song? Um, overplayed, overused, and, the whole Diana thing? and emblematic of a whole thing that I'm not really a fan of. So, um... Let, let me rephrase a question for you. What are your thoughts on the original version of the song Candle in the Wind? Pretty much fine. Okay. I like Elton John. I've said it before, but um, there's just something sickly about it in this version. So I get you. Um, number three, The Rolling Stones. Anybody seen my baby? Yeah. Yeah, this is the Rolling Stones trying to be 90s and then condensing what is sucks about the 90s. Number two is The Wallflowers, One Headlight, the most boring song of the year. (laughs) Do you remember that it won the Rock Award for that year or something? Like oh, we, we did a whole breakdown on like some music awards that year because we couldn't believe that one headlight won an award. The, honestly, the song has erased itself from my mind at this point. Absolutely death-defyingly dull. Uh, and number one is Teletubbies say "Oh," so thank yeah, you. Predictably, um. So, yeah, we had a lot of good music this year. Some stuff I've added to playlists and listened to over and over again. And we've had some absolute shite. So <laughs> the, the one that I will actually say that I forgot to mention during the best songs, one that I hated when we first listened to it, but has totally grown on me in the five years since. Uh, do you know what I mean by Oasis? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was one of the episodes where I went into the history of Oasis at that point. Mm hmm. And uh, it was complex. No, yeah, you you did. You you did. And it's like, is it their best song? No, not even not even close. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm 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 totally in on it. Anyhow, so we have come to our main event of the episode. Well, do you want to leave this one or shall I? Uh, I'd be happy to leave this one off. Okay, go for it. So, best wrestlers, best acts, MVPs of the year, however you want to say it. Uh, I didn't mention them too much during the most interesting, because my number 10 cracked the list were the New Age Outlaws. Uh, yeah, I figured we might have a little bit of crossover there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as mentioned, the... The Rockabilly and the Jesse James stuff was not spectacular, but it felt like it was just freaking, you know, it was chocolate and peanut butter is what it was. <laughs> but put them together and holy shit, look at them go. Yeah. Um, 
like again, like because because they had like angles lasting all year, they get more of your attention, mm-hmm. and they finish really strong. So uh, even though they're so nineties, it hurts with their South Park T-shirts yeah. and and genuine like horrendous asshole characters. For some reason, I forgive them a lot more than let's say Sean, who is a deeply personal kind of asshole. These guys just feel like douchebags. I don't know that I would actually put... Like, if we did 98, I don't know that they would make a top 10 list despite having a full year of the tag team behind them. Just because they do become so formulaic and they do become so routine, but we're not at that point yet. And (laughs) just that in itself, comparing this slice of their career to what is normally associated to them just feels so much more fresh. I know we keep using that phrase with them, but that's what it is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so my number 10 is Vince McMahon uh, going from announcer to heel owner. And obviously, like if we do this the following year, he's going to be like number two on the list. Yeah. <laughs> but, Again, this is a story that was told all year. You get hints about Vince being in charge. You get just indications, and then he sets up the angles with Austin so well. Like like I was saying before, you just get these... On the surface, he's a guy who cares about Austin. But what's revealed underneath mm-hmm. is like he's a guy who cares about people doing what he tells them to do. Mm-hmm. That, that control freak aspect. He wants to protect his investment. And when when he finally gets unveiled as like like the civility drops and you get like that animalistic face he pulls, like yes, that's that's Vince, that's Vince. Mm-hmm. And Austin t- strips him of that layer of civility. Like it's Austin's fault that Vincent Mann is exposed as being like this hedonistic, power mad, crazed guy he vince might never have like been like in the in kayfabe Vince man might have continued to be a publicly acceptable guy who by and large looked after the interests of the audience but austin ruined Mm -hmm. him um they ruined it god damn it (laughs) he's the one who drove him crazy yeah uh but yeah uh i really love his work uh, I do, especially towards the end of the year. So, uh, my number nine. Well, it's gotta be Kane. Not technically on my list. So, discounting discounting his work as uh, Diesel Junior at the beginning of the year. Well, obviously, uh, that on yeah. my list. <laughs> He was just, uh, even though he was only there for a few months, he was such a driving force of television. He'd show up, wreck shit, you know, finally, finally got Undertaker to, you know, show a different side of himself. And Paul, I guess you could wrap Paul Bearer into it as well with the, the great promos, just a great act that just kind of shook things up. I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. I mean, Kane is 
one of those rare things like Undertaker, where they they took a, uh, an over the top crazy concept and they actually made it work. And that guy is now a mayor. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Who ironically is striking down mask mandates. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're only for people who are, have horrible burns or think they do. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Kane's really working at the end of the year. He's just terrifying. So, yeah, great, great, great call. Um, my number nine. It's all about that thin dividing line where on the one hand, you're Ahmed Johnson. And on the other hand, you're Sid. I fucking love Sid. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So, yeah, that, that would uh, that would explain why you didn't have him on the interesting list. Yeah, because yeah, no, when, when, um... when Sid didn't show up, it's because he chose not to show up. He wasn't injuring himself stupidly. He wasn't making a mm-hmm. fool of himself in that way. Sid is mesmerizing. He's inscrutable. He's a charismatic monster. And yes, he's limited in the ring. But nobody I feels think, quite like Sid, you know? I was, I was going to say, I think that uh, sunset flip that he started pulling off against Bret Hart in that one match over the ropes is still going through the motions. <laughs> yeah, that was uh that was a continental drift level move. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, from him killing uh from oh uh, shoot, what was uh Lothario's kid's name? The Ensign <laughs> Oh god, Pete. Ensign Pete, that was it. Killing him on a table that wouldn't break. The, then doing that promo in the Alamo Dome. Yeah, dude was a fucking monster. He's just... Sid is Sid. Yeah. He kept giving opportunities to come back to wrestling because there just seemed to be this untapped reservoir of potential that no one ever seemed to unearth. And you could go to, like, when he's, he's running ECW, where all he has to do is go out and murder people for Ju- Judge Jeff Jones. Like, that's great fun. <laughs> You know, it's just really fun to watch mm-hmm. all the time. So uh, even if it's not always for the right reasons. But yeah, um, I I just I had to put him I had to put him on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, my number eight was the man they call Vader. You know what? I kick myself for not having Vader on my list. I actually am. The guy had, this was probably the last great year of Vader's career. I'll argue that, because Japan. Um, okay. He was phenomenal after this in Japan. He was, I think he was like Observer Wrestler of the Year after this in Japan. Huh. Well then. Okay, his last great year in North America. Uh, but yeah, just... The guy had some fantastic matches, obviously the peak probably being either the Final Four or the match against uh, The Undertaker at Canadian Stampede. Uh, he had the interesting match against Shamrock. Uh, he had 
you know, then he started to move into the USA versus Canada thing. They started turning him face. He got over as a face, albeit as someone that got pushed down the cart a little bit, got coffee thrown in his good eye. Uh, but no guy was a presence guy brought it in the ring. One of the best squash match wrestlers, one of the best pure match wrestlers. There is a reason he is thought of as one of the best big men in the history of wrestling. And, a lot of that showed through in 1997. I absolutely agree with all of that. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, 99, he was most improved wrestler in the business um, in the Observer Awards. And uh, yeah, he was just kicking ass in uh, in All Japan and in NOAA. Uh, yeah, he was Triple Crown champion uh, twice over in 99 and 2000. So Okay. Uh, yeah, this was not the end of his career. So Okay, I knew he went back to Japan. I didn't know that he was back to being a headliner in Japan. Yeah, he had a couple of years there being a serious guy. So Okay. Uh, my number eight is Taka Michinoku. Uh, do you have him on yours? I do not. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, arguably, like the best wrestler in the company. <laughs> like, I, 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 it's hard because so many of his matches were under five minutes, but God, I, the guy say, has phenomenal I, I don't know talent. that I'd call him number one, but he's, I, I don't, I, I don't think he's number one, but I ain't going to laugh you out of the building for, for saying he might be. Top three. I think we could settle on top three. If the guy got a chance to show Even it, that's debatable. I'd say, if the guy got a chance I, I know to show he never it, had a though. chance to show it, but yeah, I, I'd still be debatable on that. Is he a top ten bell to bell guy? Easily, yes, but uh, but we're splitting hairs at this point. Yeah, I mean, look, you can always go check out his ECW stuff if you want to see like full matches of all the stuff with Tajiri and Super Crazy and all that. But every time the guy went out there and does that no hands no hands plancha, it's incredible. Hmm. Like. You know, Flash Funk was like one of our favorite TV wrestlers of the year. Takamichinoku's got to be one of our favorite TV wrestlers of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this stuff. No, absolutely. I I had him. What I think three of his matches total on the uh, combined best matches of the year list. I'm certainly not undercutting his his wrestling ability. I just I don't think that he was given enough ability to put himself into the top 10. Fair enough. My number seven is the, he was intercontinental champion, tag team champion, and of course, two time Slammy award winning Owen Hart. (laughs) He's higher on my list. Okay. You're seven. The Nation of Domination. Um, that, I quasi have them higher on my list. Well, let's leave them for that then. Okay. Um, because my number six was Rocky Maivia. Okay, well, let's talk about the whole thing now then. All right. The, uh, so, the, the, are, are you including the original version? I am. Because... Again, when I'm talking about an act throughout a whole year, I'm considering everything they did. And Mm -hmm. the fact that they were 
they had two distinct incarnations this year. But like, if you go from like the early images, we have the nation of like 15 guys all spread out. They were like, they look awesome. Like all these guys, mm-hmm. uh, all in all one, the extras, all in one big unique faction. And then by the end of the year, they're still relevant. Mm-hmm. Like they formed the basis of the entire gang wars thing, good or bad. And they, uh, and by the end of it, they're, you know, they're still mixing up. They're having profound influence on Ahmed Johnson's career, I guess. But mostly, you get the rock. And from that, Mm -hmm. spins gold, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why they get such a prominent place, because they were so influential for the whole year. No, and specifically when it comes to, to Rocky, everything from his return from injury to joining the nation cutting promos, starting to sow the seeds of taking over the nation. Just, he exudes this cool asshole persona, and he is just fantastic at it. And once again, he has not refined the act, so similarly, not exactly the same, obviously, but similar to the New Age Outlaws, seeing this rough-around-the-edges, unrefined version of what will go on to become one of the hottest acts in all of wrestling is really cool to see. I love his stuff with Farouk. I just love it. Unfortunately, most of it's 98, but yeah, yeah. there's plenty of good stuff here. Uh, So I think we're on to my number six. Yep. And that is, controversially, Shawn Michaels. Uh, because he will be higher on my list. <laughs> okay, we'll get to him then. And it's completely fine that he is higher on your list. I yes. I, it's, no, uh, wait, when you when you are admitting it to being controversial, it's like I kind of see where you're going. Heck, I thought where I put him was controversial, but in any event, yeah. Um, my number five is Mick Foley. Uh, higher on my list. All right, your number five. Paul Bearer, featuring okay. Kane. Yep. Uh, because I think that uh, when I'm when I'm talking about like opposition to the Undertaker, I think of Kane as being a culmination of Paul Bearer's efforts, and you've got Paul Bearer manipulating mankind earlier in the year as well. He like the entire of Undertaker's year, and to be fair, like Undertaker's not going to be on my list mm-hmm. okay. for obvi- for obvious reasons because he his promos are crap. And he does come across like a, a whiny teenager a lot of the time. But the reason that The Undertaker's stuff could dominate, uh, could have a long-running, like, relevant storyline throughout the entire year is because Paul Bearer, he's managing Mankind, he's blackmailing Undertaker, and then he's managing Kane. And that's a big legacy to leave in one year for a, a, a role of a manager that's not really favoured in that company. Yeah, um, I even mentioned Vader. <laughs> Absolutely, I, like very few people could take a take, take, take the cartoon feel of the new generation and then translate it into the Attitude Era like he did. And you know, when it comes to mm-hmm. stuff like portraying like rage or fear or self satisfaction, nobody's better than Paul Bearer. Mm-hmm. So, um, love the guy. He was a, a phenomenal performer this year. 
My number four is The Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's wrapped up a lot in what I'm talking about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, that whole so, angle and the roles people play yeah. at, so... Setting aside the the good parts of the angle, I know that there, you know, we we joke about Undertaker in his room, and there is a lot of stuff that doesn't hit. There is plenty that I think that does, especially when Kane actually becomes part of the angle. But beyond that, he had the final four match. He had the Vader match at Canadian Stampede. He had the two matches against Shawn Michaels. He had one night only against Bret Hart. Hell, he had SummerSlam against Bret Hart. The guy brought his working boots this year. And, like, this was, to this point in his career, the best in-ring year he had ever had. And it'd be a long time before he started reaching back to that level. I think that's fair. And I've obviously, I've underrated him somewhat deliberately because when I took the whole of his year and boiled down what I really loved about it, Paul Bearer was the top of the thing for me. He's the, the, mm-hmm. the guy, the, the straw that stirs the drink for Taker. Um, but yes, he, uh, Taker did have a very good in ring, in ring year and mm-hmm. presence wise, he's frequently a highlight of the show. Um, but he's limited for me. Uh, which is why he couldn't quite make my list. But, yeah. You're number four. Mick Foley. Um, he is the most talented character creator in the history of wrestling, I think. Like, from promo... If he ain't, he's definitely in the conversation. Like his promos. He has, he has great promos. He has mm-hmm. great matches. He has incredible moments all year long. Like... What else could you possibly want from a guy to have yeah. that to be a combination of all three of those things? Like he he's a guy who you can cheer for fulfilling his lifetime dream of being a baby face chick magnet, but you can also boo because he's scaring a tiny child who's not old enough to go to school, and we know that because mm-hmm. he creeps up to her and asks her if she's in school. <laughs> like he. he Mick Foley is one of my favorite guys in the history of wrestling, and he's incredible this year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, here's hoping he recovers well from uh, his corona bout there. Yeah, um, uh, but I think he's over the, yeah. he's over the worst of it. So, yeah, good to hear. Yeah, but yeah, just the him being able to juggle all three of these roles, to be able to still put on some good matches while we're at it. And just, I mean, he is one of the best on interviews and promos of the entire year. He had that fantastic match against Triple H at the Garden. And even better was the, you know, the triple, the three faces of Foley leading up to it. And heck, even at the end of the year, going well out of his way to get Kane and the New Age Outlaws over. Yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna my, if, you, if you're gonna create a roster, you want him. There's no question. My number three is Shawn Michaels. Fair enough. Um, because for as much of an asshole as he is, as much of a dick as he is, as much as he would go out of his way, it seemed to bury people, 
for his part on in getting Bret Hart booted from the company. I know it was mostly Vince, but still. Like, the guy rubbed me wrong in just about every way that you can think of, and some people say it's just heel heat. I don't believe it was entirely just that. Yes, there was some of it involved, but you can't doubt the guy's in-ring performances this year. No. The guy just, bell to bell, possibly the best guy that they had, which is hard for me to say, being the Bret Hart mark that I am. More on that in a moment. Uh, but, yeah, no, when you, the good stuff shockingly outweighs the bad, and that is a more of a compliment than you would think. But, uh, yeah, he, he is what he was, and I know you had him on the top ten list despite uh, your, your hatred of 97 Shawn Michaels as well. Uh, your, your thoughts on it? I, for match quality, he's unrivaled. Um, for promos, he's unreliable. For professional conduct, he's unemployable. The, he is... the most naturally talented person in the company. No question. The guy is ridiculously talented. Uh, and with that comes the knowledge that he is ridiculously talented and the belief he can get away with anything. Um, uh-huh. I think he's, he, as much as like we might talk about people leaving their imprint on this year, nobody changed this, changes the course of this year like Shawn Michaels does. Like mm-hmm. whether he's like saying, I'm not going to work WrestleMania because I'm injured or I lost my smile or I'm not going to drop that belt because I don't really feel like it or any of those things. When you can actually get him in the ring, he's bloody great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he does have a persona that but works. But then there's shit like One Night Only. Yes. Well, that's the thing. One Night Only is a fantastic match. It really is. It's a great match. We talk about it at the time. The booking is designed to completely assassinate Davy Boy. Um, he does some horrendous things to people this year, but he's still fantastic. <laughs> There's no way around it. So, you know, the good doesn't cancel out the bad, but he, you can't look go through 1997 and not watch the guy. So. Uh-huh. That reminds me of uh, what was the uh, what was the joke about you know Michael Jackson all the bad stuff about him. yeah but he wrote Thriller <laughs> that was Shawn Michaels in '97 yes that's a fantastic analogy yeah uh, we have uh, to your know, number three my number three is going to be Owen and Bulldog and okay. brackets the Heart Foundation. Um, you know, they held the tag belts, they held the IC and Euro belts. Um, their team and rivalry drove a lot of stuff in the early part of the year. And then they created the bedrock of the Hart Foundation. And then at the end of the year, Owen is touching the main event scene by himself. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're like huge mainstays of wh- why the, of why 1997 works so well. Mm-hmm. They're they're extremely reliable. They're extremely talented in the ring. They're very entertaining. Um, they had a lot of my favorite TV matches. Uh, and 
they have in look they have what some some other people on my list don't have, which is my my eternal respect. <laughs> you know, I love those guys, and they were a fantastic tag team, one of the best tag teams of all time put together. Um, mm-hmm. so that's why they're my number three. No, I completely understand that. I put Owen on his own on the list just because I thought he was far and away the better worker than Bulldog was. Mm. I felt that Bulldog's best stuff was with Owen, and Owen away from Bulldog was a lot better than Bulldog. Or yeah, Owen away from Bulldog was a lot better than Bulldog away from Owen. Um. This is not to completely discount Bulldog's contributions, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm much more on the Owen train. Which is fair. I mean, Owen does have the higher ceiling, mm-hmm. but Davey has his own singles highlights, even if like one of them is against Owen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is against Sean. Mm-hmm. Like, regardless of how that match turns out, you know, Owen's not going to face a massively dissimilar fate in the long run when it, when it comes to political run-ins with DX. Mm-hmm. So... But, you know, Davey had his own individual highlights. So that's the reason I, I kept them together and I put them and, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I really consider them a package deal for this one. So. Gotcha. My number two, well, I, I think at this point, the top two should be obvious by process of elimination. Uh, so we'll see if we are consensus or if we are split. My number two was Stone Cold Steve Austin. I had him higher. So I'm going to guess that your number two is Bret Hart. Uh, Bret Hart brackets the Hart Foundation. Um, but I think because you have him higher, I'll let you talk about Bret. All right. So Bret Hart, once again, eight, nine-year-old Canadian kid. I was cheering my brain out for Bret Hart every step of the way at this point in his life. While I don't distinctly remember the Montreal Screwjob happening, I do distinctly remember Bret Hart no longer being a part of WWF for some reason, and that really bumming me out. The guy I have a personal connection with, I thought that he, with the anti-America, pro-everything-else character that he had, he brought some of the best interviews that he had for any one year of his life. The guy, despite being injured in the middle of the year, was still bringing some fantastic matches. His work in the Rumble, his work in the Final Four match, the match against the matches against Austin, the matches against Undertaker, hell, even the match against Shawn Michaels. With all the bullshit that was going around, it swirling around in his head, he still managed to have a great match with the guy. He had great matches on TV against Ken Shamrock. He was. I, I know some people look at me weird for saying this. I thought he was he is better on average in ring than Shawn Michaels is. He's obviously more professional. I'm not going to say he's a better promo overall or that he can do everything that Shawn does, but he is like he is my favorite for a reason. I don't think it's unjustified, and I think that he was like 97 was about setting Austin up to be bigger than anyone else was in 97 in 98 and they succeeded at that but he wasn't there yet and that's why i had him at my number two and that's why i put brett at one 
for me, Brett is like the main crux of the argument between like Sean and his jealousy of Brett was the fact that Brett was getting this big monster deal representing how much he got paid, um, the highest paid guy in the company. And all I can think was that Brett was worth the money. Um, he had, like, for a guy who people dismissed as being plain or, like, not that interesting or come off the back of the new, new generation, his character stuff this year was fantastic. Like, the best character shifts um, in the company, really, to reflect the, the, the change in the company attitude, for lack of a better word. Um, mm-hmm. His heel turn made Austin... And I think that's the most most important thing of the year. Um, the most important thing in company history was the fact that Brett was willing to make new guys and be a launching pad for other guys. You got to see it in like the match in matches he had with tons of guys this year who get something out of it. He was a giving wrestler. He wasn't selfish, really. I mean, he cared about his um, maintaining his standards and his reputation. And he cared about um, making sure his family name was respected. He cared about all these things. But he was always willing to help other people. That's why he's the good guy, you know? Um, that's why Sean's the bad guy. Because uh, Brett wasn't fucking anyone over. Uh, and when I talk about respect, like I had for Owen and Davey, respect is what I had for Brett this year. Um, he did a fantastic job. He worked really hard. He was injured and he still made effort. Um, and yeah, he was fantastic. Fantastic this year. Mm-hmm. So what in your mind puts Austin ahead of Bret Hart's fantastic year? Uh, at the start of the year, we talk a lot about how you have these sort of slightly tepid crowds. And then by the end of the year, you've got this rabid crowd. That's Austin. Austin changes like the entire mecha- like the entire mechanic of how the company feels. Mm-hmm. It feels like by the end of the year, like the way the presentation shifts, it shifts. It feels like it shifts to suit Austin. The way that like the whole company works itself with like the introduction of concepts like heel owners and stuff like that, it all shifts to suit Austin. Austin is this like reality bending character um, for the company. Um, the whole thing shifts around him and he's doing it from the very start of the year. Like I said before, but he's like calling all the other main events, main events out and their bullshit and they're complaining and they're whining. Um, he is, He's influential in ways that you can't, you almost can't calculate in how the company is resurgent, and the bedrock for that is laid this year. The the benefits are felt next year, but the bedrock is this year. Um, like Brett, he is fiercely devoted to uh, maintaining his credibility and his character. He doesn't put up with bullshit in that regard, and those are good things to have in a main eventer. These are, these, are, these are positive traits to have. Somebody who's willing to go to bat for themselves and defend themselves. He didn't go out of his way to make other people look absurdly weak. But he did. Not yet, him, anyway. But he did, put, <laughs> he did put himself first. And 
think the guy's like a a colossus of the uh, uh-huh. across the whole year for me. So uh and and so frequently, so frequently going through that list of like best moments of the week, it's well we can't just say Austin every week. <laughs> because he was just like, oh, the best thing this week was Austin's interview. The best week thing this week was Austin blasting back in black. Uh, oh, the best thing this week was Austin dressing down this guy or that guy. Like, he's fantastic. Like, really fantastic. So, you, you make some you make some very good points there. Ones that I was actually considering as you were speaking about maybe changing my mind on it. I'm not going to, but. <laughs> Everything you say is correct. Hey, I put the guy as the second best wrestler of the year. It's not like I'm trying to dog on the guy. No. I just, I just preferred Brett. <laughs> I don't have an argument with that. And honestly, as a Canadian, you should prefer Brett. But it's amazing how you go to those, like, it goes to Calgary Stampede. How many Canadians were pro Austin? <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> enough of them were brave enough to be pro Austin. And that's mm-hmm. that's that's impressive. So uh yeah. Well I was gonna say Stampede draws a lot of people from out of country. True. But I I specifically recall a few people being interviewed and they were Canadians who were pro Austin. So uh, I am not I'm not saying that they weren't there. I am saying though that it might it Yeah. There were probably more non Calgarians at that show than there would be at any other time of the year. <laughs> Very true. Very true. So that's a, that puts a nice little bow on our seven year odyssey through a single year, 1997. So you might be wondering what comes next. And I know that we tease on the week 52 episode that we would announce what that is. And literally up until this morning, we weren't entirely sure what it was going to be. But uh, we uh, we put some we put some work on it. We'd had some ideas narrowed down, and some of them we might come back to later. So next time on a Cure for the Common podcast, no longer a WWF 1997 retrospective, we are going to be reviewing a match between. Jack Evans and Matt Seidel. We are going to be reviewing a Royal Rumble ladder match hybrid. We'll see people from Dragon Gate. We'll see people from PWG. We are going to be reviewing the first and only and last season of MTV's Wrestling Society X. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen this in years. <laughs> Neither have I. This is going to be this is going to be interesting cuz I know there's a few names in there that uh, you know, I completely forget were there. So for those who aren't aware, this is from back in 2006. We are going to be uh, doing this. It'll be in five parts, maybe six, if we do a separate recap as its own episodes. We shall see. But until then, thank you for joining us on this journey. We hope you stick around for the next one. Until then, my name is Kellen Scrivens. And my name is Tom Hemmings.
and thank you for listening to the Cure for the Common podcast. Still stunning how you love that. Got the whole world asking how I does that. Hot girl, hands off, don't touch that. Look at it, I bet you wishing you could clutch that. That's just the way you like it, huh? He's so good, he just wishing he could bite it, huh? Never turn down nothing. Slaying these hoes, go trigger on a gun like Do that, do that, ah ah, Gigi Wap. Who that, who that, ah ah, Gigi Wap.